live from Chicago, it's Saturday morning. It's the Murph and Fred Show, starring Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, and featuring Eric Ostrowski. Now, here's your host, Murph and Fred. Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, Saturday morning. Glad you're with us. We're jammed up today. We're here well, for just, you three know, hours. we have a lot to do. Oh, that also. Not necessarily. No, I've I mean, been, I'm regular. Yeah, yeah, I am too, actually. Yeah. Which is good. Which is a good thing. Metamucil. I haven't needed to get anything. <laughs> I guess I'm not old enough, which is nice. My doctors <laughs> keep telling me, you know, you're, 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 you're too young. Uh, not really. But anyway. I have a big uh, thing of it, but I don't use it. Uh-huh. But it's there if you need it, guys. There we go. Golden gift. All right. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk. Baseball. Thank God. No, we're going to talk about Duke. Everyone loves Duke, I thought. Yeah, they do. Uh, they just want to keep seeing the guy play. There you go. They want to see Zion Williamson there play. You go. I'd rather see him lose. Keep dreaming, right? They've, they've won their last two games by what? A total of three points? Uh-huh. Come on. It's ridiculous. Tell you what, uh, EO11, let us hear when you can uh, dig it out of the uh, vault there, the final play in a moment of last night's game. 3323776. Want to ask all fans listening right now, and you can vote in a moment. I'll give you the information. Are you rooting for Duke to go all the way? And if so, why? All right? Okay. I want to know why. And Twitter polls are. Open for business right now at ESPN 1000. You are rooting for Duke to win it all. Yes or no? Very simple. Oh, come on, Murph. That's not very inventive. Well, it's not supposed to be. I just want to know. Uh-huh. All right? Because over time, I've learned that most people, most fans, at least anecdotally from my point of view, Fred, they don't like Duke. They hate Duke. Unless you went to Duke, who's rooting for Duke? But, Usually, you know guys that went to Duke, and because of those people, uh-huh. you hate Duke. Yeah, but... I'll pe- just leave that out there. People that went to Duke love Duke. I don't know. Have you ever met anyone no. that didn't go to Duke that loves Duke? No. But... Same with Syracuse. <laughs> Never met anybody that didn't go to Syracuse that <laughs> loves Syracuse. They're everywhere. Yes, they are. So... I have a feeling that I'm not we're, saying I don't li- don't no. like those people, but uh, Nicky yeah. Free, right? Yeah, oh, he's the best. Nick Friedel, Andrew Siciliano, oh. I think Jason Benetti. Oh. You name it, it keeps rolling off the your tongue. Buddy, your good buddy Jason All Benetti. Oh, yep. okay. All of them. He sits next to my good buddy Steve Stone. Yeah, yeah. and Stoney. Hopefully, it won't be it won't be wet out, so Stoney can't make excuses for the <laughs> errors the White Sox commit, like he did the other day. What's up, Fred's can from nine till noon today? Oh my God. <laughs> Well, you know, Tim Anderson, uh, the ball is a little wet as he threw it into the stands. Let's hear the end of the Duke game there, EO11. You have to... Uh-oh, we don't have it? Well, we do. It's just oh. He's answering a phone call. Oh. Yeah. That's how it works here. We, well, got, one, we got one producer running. That's okay. One... That's fine. <laughs> the problem is I can't see him. Uh-huh. Because we have this. We're in a different studio, so I apologize. So how lucky can Duke get? Oh, no, they weren't lucky. No, I say were. Well, sure they were. Yeah, very lucky. How'd that kid miss that shot? Yeah. Let's get a call of that shot. (laughs) It'll be Robinson inbounding right baseline. Robinson peering around Bolden, lobbing it underneath the mid. He'll catch his tip try, won't go. It ends up 
Rodgers short, and Duke is on its way again to the Elite Eight. And the Blue Devils, part of a Blue Blood matchup with a trip to the Final Four on the line. It's Duke, it's Michigan State. The Elite Eight on Sunday in Washington, D.C. as Duke survives 75-73. The Virginia Tech tip falls just short. <laughs> it was right there. You just, like, tap your volleyball. You just, no, sh- that's you just what he shoot did. it in. He volleyballed it in, yeah, and okay, that's right. why it didn't go in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually took two hands like he was actually setting somebody up, and what he did was he set up his team to lose. All he had to do was shoot the ball, mm-hmm. and he didn't do it. It was a perfect play <sighs> set up, yeah. um, you know, and he just he could not t- capitalize on it. The same thing that happened, I mean, in, in the previous game when they had two opportunities, uh, Central Florida, and, uh, you know, Duke gets out by the skin of their teeth for the second game in a row. Three, three, two, three, seven, seven. Six. Let's bring in uh, Grant. He's out and about on the interstate. Hey, Grant, Murph, and Fred, good morning. Hey, guys. How are we doing today? Okay, Grant. So, uh, I propose that, uh, that unless you went to Duke, you don't cheer for Duke, or maybe you do, and why? What? What's your story? Want to know why? Ever since John Shire left Glenbrook North, I've been a diehard Duke fan. He is my favorite Duke player of all time. I root for them. I okay. They're like the Cubs for me. I live and die by them. <laughs> but I will say this about last night. Yes, they got lucky. But wasn't Blackshear out of bounds? Like, can't they review that play? And maybe Duke gets the ball and that's a foul again. You know, Duke has gotten really lucky. By my standards, they have not been playing well at all this tournament. But I hope for them to go all the way. And maybe one good game against Michigan State could do it. And you're a Bulls fan, and you want to watch Zion and Dream also. You forgot to say that. <laughs> or RJ or Cam, one yeah. or the other. Nicely done. Hey, Grant, thanks for calling, man. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. 332-3776. Three, three. Three, 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 seven, seven, Let's go next to uh, Mark, uh, Michigan City. Hello, Marcus. Hey, hello. How you doing there, Fred? How you doing there, Murph? Hey, Good talk with Great talk with you, Murph. Thank, thank you, man. Never did so. Uh, hey, thank you. So, uh, you sound like uh, you went to Duke. No, I didn't. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of watching it neutrally, but I'm so impressed with Zion. He can play any position on the court in college or pro. He is, his, his anticipation and speed on everything, getting to a rebound, flapping a ball, making a pass. He's like the Tasmanian devil and about Charles Barkley and four inches taller. He's wow. an unstoppable force. That's how I explain it. He's not uh, fat, but he is built, or he's stocky, but he's not overweight uh, like Barkley was in the beginning, the old round mound of, of rebound. But he's a five-position guy, Fred. That's yeah, what they're well, saying, in, right? In co- yeah, in college he is, and the NBA slowly but surely is becoming a positionless sport. They just they yes. can just throw players out there, five guys that can play with each other, and they're not worried about a center or anything else. In fact, I heard the phrase, he's uh, a small stretch center. Is that possible? I guess. There's no positions anymore. A uh um, he can uh, do it all. He can bring it up. He can guard everybody, which is uh, is the biggest thing that uh, when you come yeah. into the NBA, because so rarely uh, do guys come in who have that kind of offensive ability that also play defense. So, uh, Mark, you're a Bulls fan, and you also like watching uh, Zion because the Bulls are going to get lucky, right? I sure hope so. That would be a hard <laughs> one to hit. That'd be like us hitting a six of. Uh, Number Powerball for the Bear, uh, for the Bulls to get that number one draft choice. One thing I want to ask Fred, as a fellow White Sox fan, 
Uh, Art Gar- uh, Chuck Garfine was talking to Rich- Rick Hahn, and Rick Hahn uh, said he kind of blamed social media for leaking the White Sox trying to secure Manny Machado. And uh, I guess uh, some uh, writers throughout the country and people who follow baseball, including John Heyman, said, I guess, 11 days before San Diego locked up the deal, that the White Sox made a first an eight-year offer for $250 million. Then he went to San Diego. The White Sox came back with the counter, with the incentives, and he laughed, and they laughed him off, and that was it. And I think that shows the White Sox such a shim-sham organization that they, and I'm a White Sox fan, that they lost Matty Machado because of social media. What do you think, Fred? Thanks, Fred? thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Keep listening. Thanks, Mark. I, I actually, it's funny because... On the podcast, on the White Sox Talk podcast, Garfine suggested that Han was talking about losing Jack Peterson. I think he was talking about Manny Machado because why would you be very upset that you didn't get Jack Peterson? Now, granted, he did hit two homers the other day uh, in their opening game. But then again, everybody in the Dodgers hit home runs in that game. They had eight of them, the most ever on an opening day. But I understand what people are saying. I kind of understand it. I don't. I thought it was the seven seventy five that he might have got upset with because that was out there, and the White Sox apparently had ever made that offer, and that's what got San Diego involved. I thought. But so. Manny Machado was also live and in person at the ballpark. Everybody saw that right when he was walking, leaving uh, after the meeting. So, I mean, everyone knew the Sox were talking to right, him. Right. You know, at this time last week, Fred, we were a little worried about our guy. Which was, guy? Wisconsin lost. Oh, yeah. We did a wellness check at home. Sure. Randy Merkin. Randy! Merkin, Assistant Program Director here at ESPN 1000. We did a wellness check last week. He said, I'm okay. I'm okay. Wisconsin, I don't believe it, but I'm okay. I was worried, but are you okay still? Is everything fine? Are you back to normal? Well, whatever normal is for Randy Merkin. <laughs> hey, Randy Murph and Fred, good morning. Murph, Fred, huh. boys, how we doing? Doing well. Fine. Uh, Randy, did you adopt another team when your beloved Badgers took the pipe early? Or uh, are you just sort of looking in, uh, you know, from the outside enjoying? Or do you have a team now? Do you have a rooting interest? Well, the one good thing about losing early is that the stress is out, right? Because the years Wisconsin made it to the Final Four in a championship game, it was... I, it was almost too tough to watch, Murph, because you were so that nervous. But uh-huh. now that Wisconsin played so terribly and lost in the first round, I can kind of relax and just watch a tournament for the enjoyment. Now, I do have uh, a rooting interest in Kentucky since I have them winning it all. Mm-hmm. So that, that was nerve-wracking last night and a great comeback in the final minute to win that game. But, um, uh, no, I, I just love I mean, it. It's, it's the greatest, what, three weeks uh, of, of basketball you'll see. And, uh uh, last night we had two great games and two not so great games, but uh, Duke keeps somehow uh, surviving, and uh, and you know now they have a great matchup against uh, Michigan State uh, tomorrow. But Randy, as a Wisconsin guy, can you actually then pull for the Big Ten and Purdue and Michigan State and or Michigan State, or is that against the uh, policy? You know, I'm not Fred. I'm not that guy who you okay. know is a is a conference guy. Like let's root for the but I. I like Izzo. Uh, I like Matt Painter. Uh, I've got friends uh, that went to both schools, so uh, I'd love to see them uh, advance. I'd love to see Purdue beat Virginia today. But um, oddly enough, this is how crazy it is. In 2000, the last time Purdue was in the Elite Eight, they lost to my team, Wisconsin, 
That was the first time since, I think, 1945 Wisconsin made the Final Four. And Dick Bennett was the coach of the Badgers. Right. Now Tony yeah. Bennett, his son, will coach against Purdue today. So crazy how things work out of the tournament. They're amazing how they set these things up. Uh, but, no, I, I could definitely root for Purdue and Michigan State. I'm definitely rooting for Michigan State tomorrow to beat Duke. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I'm definitely rooting for him. Had you ever seen anything like the Ryan Klein shooting the other day in the second half? Uh, that that was amazing, you know. And I would say that uh, Tennessee gave him a lot of airspace, but I think he actually just created himself. I mean, yeah. he was he was amazing. He just couldn't miss. And you know, sometimes like Auburn yesterday, Fred in that second oh half, they got, they got a heater and they just couldn't miss. And same thing happened uh, with Ryan Klein that in that second half. I mean, he just he was creating his own shot off the dribble and just could not miss. Dead on. Every single shot was dead on. Yep. Middle, middle. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, but, you know, Purdue was really hot. Tennessee got hot in the second half. I don't think that was a foul on Carson Edwards in the game. I thought that was a no call there. And uh, Purdue got a little lucky there. But there was, you know, there was a lot of calls throughout the whole game that could have gone either way. So, uh, Purdue deserved to advance, and uh, it should be a great game against Virginia. He's sounding better than last Saturday, Randy Merck. In a couple of quick minutes, our assistant program like, director, yeah, basketball yeah, you know expert. Why, you know why he's sounding better? No. Because there's a Rory McIlroy Tiger Woods uh, <laughs> match coming Fred, up today. Watching right? it right now, yeah. group four, all square. There you go. There you go. Uh, Randy, one last, uh, three, three, two, three, seven, seven, six. continue to take your calls. Why are you rooting for a Duke to go all the way, or are you? And uh, is it partially because you're just dreaming about Zion? You want to keep seeing him because you're saying, I'm going to win the lottery. And then you say, the Bulls are going to win the lottery. So, Randy, luck is always involved. You hate to say, I hate to say, oh, Duke was lucky. Would you categorize their victory as lucky, considering 1.1 seconds left what happened? Or you still got to grind it out? It, it's just sort of hard to win because of the other team's mistake. You know what I mean? Right. No, I hear you saying, Murph. But I, I will tell you that what the great Jim Valvano always said uh, in the tournament, survive in advance, right? And, you know, listen, Duke played a great second half to get the lead over Virginia Tech. Uh, both teams know each other very well. They played a couple times during the season. Um, it is crazy. I don't think I've ever seen a team win two games huh. when the other team had the ball on the rim to tie it or win the game, <laughs> yeah. and somehow they advance. You know, sometimes you say, well, that team is just destined to win a championship. And if you really look at Duke, I mean, last night, it was second half. It was Reddish, Jones, and Zion. That was it. I mean, they really had nothing else. Uh, to go about scoring, and somehow they survived. Um, you know, Michigan State kind of checks all the boxes, Murph, when it comes to facing off against a team like Duke. They're physical inside. They're, they're almost immovable inside with the, with the girth they have inside. And they've got the guys who can hit the outside shot, and they've got that, what, that, that, that weapon in Cassius Winston who just somehow makes it always happen. He, he's kind of like Mateen Cleaves on that great team that won that sure. year, actually, in 2000. Or, like, you know, obviously a different body type, but like kind of like Magic Johnson, he makes it all happen. He's the, he's the floor general for Michigan State. So you, you almost feel confident that maybe Michigan State is the right team to knock out Duke. Everyone was complaining before when the brackets came out that Michigan State got a raw deal and Duke got a raw deal. But, hey, you got to beat good teams to win a national championship. So uh, this will just be another test for Duke. And for Michigan State, um, 
you're asking me who to pick, I, I think it's almost impossible to go against Coach K in this matchup because he's 11-1 and against uh, Tom Izzo, which is pretty remarkable. So I, I think I'll take Duke in a close game again over Michigan State. Yeah, Duke a point-and-a-half favorite, but you wouldn't know that. Uh, you haven't looked no, yet. No, I have no idea what that spread. What are you talking about? Hey, yeah, Randy, let's uh, last thing. Uh, let's dream as Bulls fans. Uh, Fred was mentioning now the NBA is almost a league without you know positions. Uh, I heard one uh, pundit the uh, last night call uh, Zion a small stretch center. I got to keep all this straight. Is there such a thing yet, or is he going to invent the new position, small stretch center? Well, you know, it's interesting, Murph, because I don't think we've ever really seen anything like Zion, at least not in the last 15, 20 years, right? Um, I mean, he's not LeBron, because I don't think he's athletically as gifted as LeBron. I don't think we'll ever see another athlete like LeBron James. But, I mean, he, he, he's crazy. I mean, he does everything well. The only thing I would say the next level that concerns me, Murph, about, and Fred, about, about Zion is I still don't see a consistent jump shot. Now, maybe he can, he can adjust when he gets to the NBA, but, I mean, you're crazy not to take him overall number one if he gets there. Uh, he probably changes your team just because he, he can do so many things well. But, you know, I'll tell you in the NBA, there are a lot of guys who can check him that couldn't check him in college. So, uh, I mean, I think he's going to be a really good pro, but uh, I think the hype is pretty crazy right now about Zion. But if you get the number one pick, he is, he is a team changer, a game changer for – for your team and uh, the Bulls, I don't think we'll have the number one pick, but if they somehow got it, I don't know how you wouldn't take him over oh, a guy like John Morant. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, hey, Randy. Tell you what. If you guys, go you guys want an update later, I'll square through four right now, Tiger right. and uh, Rory. All right, go back, to, so go back to sleep. We'll call you just a little after 12. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. Thank you. See you, Randy. Randy Martin. <laughs> Murph and Fred till noon. Uh, always. Well, not last week. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, people are getting all worked up. You know, Rory and Tiger are going against each other. So that's uh, for, for all the golf fans out there. There's fans. Right now, if you're a fan of everything, mm-hmm. hockey's going on, basketball's going on, baseball's yeah. going on, soccer's going on for me. You've got everything going on right now. All the sports are going on except football. And, of course, we'll talk more about the Jordan Howard trade a little bit later, I'm hey, sure. There's some good Bears stuff today. Yep. The Bears worked out a running excuse me, running back at Ohio uh, from Ohio State. Right. And, and they'll uh, probably they'll probably go and grab a guy in the draft, especially after that. So who knows? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a big uh, you know college football fan, so I had no idea who Mike Weber was. But he's a guy that they actually worked out. So cool. I mean, uh, they're going to need a running back. They picked up this kid Davis, um, you know, as a free agent. We'll see if uh, they actually do need another one. But you want to give Matt Nagy what he wants, and apparently uh, Jordan Howard wasn't what he wanted. According to uh, Adam Johns, Bears beat guy over at the Sun-Times a few days before heading to Phoenix. This past week, the NFL meeting Bears. Here we go. The Bears head coach and general manager. Well, they took a trip to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, they put Ohio State running back Mike Weber, as you said, Fred, through a workout. It was captured on camera by a local Buckeye reporter who shared it for everyone to see on uh, Twitter. We like... uh, uh, they like other oh, and and Mike. They like their Mike Davis, of course, who they sure. just signed. Uh, but as now Nagy misspoke here. Did you see this? Oh, this is interesting. Adam John says uh, they like Davis because, as Nagy put it, 
He does not have a lot of tread on his tires. I think it'd be they like him because he has. He right? has tread okay. on his tires. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, we saw a role for uh, 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 Patterson. Things are starting to uh, shape up here. Three three two three seven seven six. Also, Cub fans, did you get a little look at what happened with the St. Louis Cardinals last night? We'll get to that. All baseball fans should have seen this. Jesse Rogers a little bit later. Let's go back to the phones and uh, Tom in Chicago. Uh, before we get to your topic, Tom, are you a, uh, a Duke fan? Are you pulling for Duke? Are you watching NCAA March Madness? Michigan State. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Well, how do you? How confident are you? Uh, not really, but I, I, I think if they could hold. Uh, uh, Williamson at bay, they, they should be okay. That's a tall order. Yeah, simple, right? Yeah, right. My, my suggestion is, if for some reason the game is tied at the end, you just bring Tom Izzo and Coach K out to shoot free throws. Yeah. Best of 10 wins the game. Uh-huh. There you go. There's there's your way for for solving the game. I love that idea. Yeah, perfect. I love that. Forget forget the other guys going on out there for the five minute overtime. You just you bring the coaches out there and they shoot free throws. Can they shoot underhand? They can shoot any way they want to. All right. I, I just want to make sure they both make the basket because they're both on the slight side. We interrupted. I interrupted you there, Tom. What was the, what were you trying to call in for other than us interrogating you? Well, uh, Freddie, this is really uh, directed at you. How do you feel about James Shields after you look at uh, Tatis and uh, Machado uh, last night uh, just uh, tearing it up for for the Padres? Yeah, they made some nice plays in the field, too. Listen, they it's all John Danks' fault. John Danks, they, the White Sox realized they couldn't put John Danks out there to pitch one more game, so they needed another pitcher, and this was back in the day when they were still trying to win games. And, uh, you know, Tatis was 17. It, they took a chance. Unfortunately, it, it didn't turn out well. And uh, Tatis is probably going to be a star shortstop for many, many years in San Diego. They yeah, went, it, it really hurts. As a, as a Cub fan, you know, let me jump in and say, hey, they they were going for it. Now, maybe it was not the right decision. Yeah. Maybe it was not the right time. Maybe it was the wrong guy back then. Was Kenny's uh, move? I'm. We're all agree on that, right? The Tatis trade. Sure. But they were going for it. You know, it's times of change now. You, oh, don't go for it. Hurt your young guys. That wasn't necessarily the overall mentality, Tom, you know, and Fred back there, back then. It hurts now. But, you know, the Eloy trade was a terrific trade. I know you wish you could put your hand in the cookie jar and have both of them, though. The, you know, Eloy and Tatis. I understand how you feel as a Cub fan back when I was a young boy. You know, they traded Lou Brock away, but then they got Fergie Jenkins. And it also, in a trade, I go, boy, if we had Brock and Jenkins. Sure. But what if you didn't have Jenkins? So what if you did not have Eloy right now, is what I'm sort of saying, yeah. Tom, you know? Well, I, I, I'm i not really uh, 100% on Eloy either, because usually these uh, phenoms, the first year they struggle. Well, that would be Tatis. So you think he's going to struggle then, right? Uh, oh, I thought you were talking about. I thought you were talking about Eloy. I no, think I am, but you're comparing apples and apples. You said, you know, you can't count on Eloy. He's a first-year guy. I'm just saying. Well, you could say the same about Tatis. That's all I'm saying. Well, Tatis is he is fantastic. Everything you see about him, you know, he's tall, he's strong, 
Uh, he's very limber, uh, playing shortstop, being so tall. It reminds me, going way back, Freddie, re- remember this name, Ron Hansen? Sure, sure. Way back in the early 60s. Right, yep. absolutely. Yep. Thanks a so, million. Hey, Tom, great call. Phone again, okay, buddy? Hanson used to play next to Pete Ward, which Thanks. was even one, another one of my favorites. <laughs> Pete Ward was the first player I ever saw blow on his hands when his hands were cold. He would have them, like, balled up in a <laughs> fist and blow there. <laughs> and it, it, I'm going, this is cool. He got, this is, look at that guy. Stocky, I love Pete a third Ward. baseman had one or two good years back yep. in the day. Love Pete Ward. You got uh, Ron Hanson. Yeah. Oh, un- unbelievable. All right, last chance vote right now at our Twitter poll. At ESPN 1000, you are rooting for Duke to win it all. Yes or no? We'll continue to take your calls on that. Have some other directions we're going to fly in a few minutes. Baseball coming up top of the hour, Jesse. Lots of White Sox talk on Fred's yellow pad. Murph and Fred, vote now at ESPN 1000. And Fred, busy Saturday. Glad you're with us. It's so weird. All is well. It's so weird in uh, baseball that you have two teams in town and Mm. neither of them are in town uh, at the opening of the season. Usually one of them opens at home and the other one doesn't. And this year, both teams are opening on the road. Cubs for three series, the White Sox for two. Well, you're right. The Cubs. It's better off because of the weather. playing today. Yeah. Well, the Cubs for about the third or fourth year in a row have gotten a, a special exemption from MLB to have their first 10 games on the road for construction at Wrigley Field ongoing through the winter Yeah, to still make sure they're you know catching up on any loose ends. And the White Sox in Kansas City, like you say, it used to be, it was always one of them opening at home. It was a big deal. Right. Yeah, it was a huge deal. And now when you open in March, it's not such a big deal. But the White Sox are back this Thursday. We've got a four-pack of tickets to the White oh, Sox home opener cool. Thursday, April 4th at Guaranteed Rate Field. Great seats available. Get yours at WhiteSox.com and the 4th of uh, April. And uh, we also, we have a four-pack of tickets to give away. So keep listening. We'll come up with a question for you. What's the question going to be? Can you tell us now so we can all look no, it up? No, I'm not going to tell you now. <laughs> uh, also, if you're one of the first 20,000 fans in attendance, you receive a White Sox long-sleeve t-shirt Good. presented by C. IBC, you're going to need a long sleeve T-shirt for a lot of the home games in yeah. April uh, on both sides of town. I'm sure. Let's do this, Fred. Let's and and EO11 Eric Ostrowski. Uh, everyone knows the phrase "hot take." Oh, it's a hot take. Yeah, and I think most people don't like the phrase. Yeah, are they tired of it? Yeah. Or, okay, tired of it. That could be a that, that could be a good. Uh... No, what? How come? It, it, would, it would stand to reason. That there'd be, uh, if, if the take wasn't hot, could it be like a cold take? Would that be like... That's could a, be. That's a bad take. Mm-hmm. Or remember the, the, the porridge, the three little... Well, the porridge was too hot, to, right. too cold, or just and right? Just right. Was that how it was? Uh-huh. All right, so let's play hot take, warm take, cold take. All right? Okay. I, I've got some takes. Gotcha. In fact, do we have any take music? Oh, he's fast today. There we go. Yeah, 11. Got a little Dave Brubeck. Back there. All right. Hot t- and uh, Eric and, and Fred, you're welcome to if you have any takes. But okay. I'll throw some takes out here, and then you guys can just quite honestly tell me, Murph, that was a hot take. That means good, right? Okay. Yeah. 
But that was, you know, lukewarm take. And so, yeah, you could do better than that. The dreaded cold take, all right? I can take I can take it. Okay. See what I did there? Yep. All right. Take number one. Well, the Bears miss Jordan Howard, right? When, oh, no, I'm not done taking. Okay. When Howard's in the backfield. Your, your, your takes can't be in the form of a question. No, I'm not. No. Okay. No. Okay, I'm that's just why. setting up the yeah, take. But I thank you. you. Thank you. Or they shouldn't be, at least. There are take rules. I think there are. Yeah. And without rules. Stephen A. Smith on line two. There's chaos. Yeah. Cosmo Kramer, 1994. One of the best. Mm-hmm. One of the few lines that I actually know from uh <laughs> From Without rules, there's chaos. Uh-huh. Uh, so we all know that, uh, you know, when Howard was in the Bears' backfield, uh, the defense wasn't stressed. I think that's one of the real words. It wasn't stressed. If I hear one more time, Howard was a good guy all week long. Oh, Howard's a good guy, yeah. but, you see, it's insin- it, it, it's creeping in. There's too much of this now. There's too much of this creeping in. Uh from people that know, you know, and I know, I, I covered him. I know him. He was a good, I don't care if he was a good guy. No. I don't care if it was a bad guy. Yeah. Well, we don't, don't want him like having police record bad guy, but Not you know usually. what I mean. So, you could have got one of them if you wanted Kareem Hunt, but. If I hear one more time, Howard was a good guy, I'm going to scream. Now, remember, they didn't want him back last year, everybody. Right. But they were, quote-unquote, stuck with them. Or they, you know, there's only so much maneuvering you can do. Why is everyone thinking that the Bears, oh, they're in trouble. They don't have a... They didn't want them last year. That's my take. Yeah, I think that's a hot take. That's a hot take. Yeah. Eric's going to bum me out here, I know. Go ahead, Eric. No, I'd say that's a hot take. I, I think they weren't sure if he fit that offense yet. That's I'll say so. How about lukewarm? Because I think that they had a sense that he doesn't fit the offense yet, Mm -hmm. but they wanted to play out the season to see. Well, think about it. Remember going into last year, uh, two years ago, actually, they talked about how he had eye surgery. He'd be able to see the ball better and then catch it. Right. And then then Uh he didn't really. So we we knew going into the third season that he still wasn't going to be able to catch the ball. And we knew that Matt Nagy's offense threw the ball to the running backs more often. They actually targeted him six fewer times uh, last year than they did the year before. So um, he only had three fewer catches, but he actually did gain more yards with those catches. So So the eye surgery, we don't know. No. Fred, I had eye surgery Wednesday. I can't even see. You can't catch a swing pass either. I can't even see you. (laughs) Which is a good thing for most people. What was that? Oh, I thought you just threw it. Fred just faked you threw a football to me. (laughs) Yeah. He air air passed it, air faked it. Bear fan Bob, is that you? Yeah, that's me. Good morning, guys. How are you? Hey, Bob. Bob, give me a hot take, a worm take, but no cold take. All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about Jordan Howard. Here's what people didn't see on their TVs. But I sat in, like, the double nosebleed section at Soldier Field last year. Jordan Howard never saw the field correctly. There were so many plays that he had the ball and he was running that he would turn into the pile, and I know you're kind of taught to do that, but if you would have turned the other way, you would still be running. And he did not have breakaway speed, and I know it, not like Tariq Cohen. Tariq Cohen does have deceptive breakaway speed. Tariq Cohen, a lot of times, did turn away from the pile and therefore got the first downs. 
That's why I believe Jordan Howard's not here. I don't think it has anything to do that he didn't fit the offense, blah, blah, blah. Forget all that. He didn't see the field correctly. That, those were my thoughts on that. And, Fred, by the way, we're White Sox fans. I'd be surprised if this team wins 60 games this year. Ooh. That's kind of where I'm going. Uh, I don't see it, but that's me. Two yeah. hot takes for the price of one from Bear Fan. There Bob. we go. Thank Guys, you. have a good day. Thank Thanks. You. Thank you, Bob. I like I like him closer to seventy five. One problem, 76 games. I'm, I'm sorry. One problem will be if on July thirty first they decide to you know trade away the bullpen veteran guys and that then things might be yeah. a little tougher. Well, uh, only if Nate Jones is still on the team. He was okay game one, right? Yeah, he walked the first guy. He didn't get out of it. Kansas City wins five to three. Yeah, three errors. And no, you know, it was raining. The ball was wet. Yeah. Did Stoney say that? Yeah, twice. Two yeah. of the three errors. Dylan Covey and Tim Anderson. Rodon was sharp for three innings, really sharp. But he actually pitched well for, for the whole oh, time, no, no, actually. No, I'm not yeah. saying that. I mean, he was razor sharp. Then he was got to about 91 pitches, and I was a little surprised Ricky left him, him in. There. Yeah. It was opening, it was opening day. Yeah. They, they probably should have taken him out after five. Um, you I know, think he had a 101 pitch count, something like that. No, actually, I think it was even less than that. Really? I thought it was 90, but I'll I'll double check. Bum, bum, bum. I actually have it right here. Oh, I got it right here. Let's see if I race you. Doo, doo, doo. Mm. I have it on a piece of paper. You're yeah. looking it up online? No, I'm looking it up on a box score. There's a reason I don't use box scores anymore. 101. Because it doesn't mention there. I see. Yeah. yeah. 101. So, this, yeah, this paper doesn't well, have the number of pitches. Oh, the Tribune stopped. Yeah. yeah. Something. Speaking of pitch count, see what uh, you Darvish pitching tonight for the Cubs against his old uh, team. As Harry would say, going to bite the hand that once fed him. He's ready to go 100 pitches. Uh-huh. He says, I haven't been this happy in seven years. In Cubs? English, he said it. I guess he does one-line jo- one liner jokes yeah. now in English. Well, Last year, he needed an interpreter. Yep. <laughs> I gotta give him credit. There's guys in the White Sox that still don't speak English. If you have a hot take, three three two three seven seven six, Eric will tell you it was a, a warm take. Uh, Fred will vote, but I've got more takes, and our guys have them. Just the top of the hour. We're gonna spread all fields on a busy sports day. Back in a flash. ESPN one thousand. Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, Jesse Rogers in a few minutes. Uh, I wonder if down in Texas, I wonder if he's got a cowboy hat on. I don't mean a Dallas Cowboys hat. I mean a cowboy hat. I can just see Jesse with a cowboy hat. That'd be a good look. Yeah. As long as you were walking behind him. Yeah. Big brim and everything. Fred, you know we do the uh, uh, Murph and Fred Fan Focus Group Twitter poll every week. We had a Twitter poll question last week. Which I don't believe we got to the uh, time to pay it off, as okay. they say. <clears throat> but it was a little appropriate. Cub fans was the question. Who should the Cubs next, multiple choice, four names, extend to a long-term deal first? Okay. Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Kyle Hendricks. Yep. Did something happen this week with Kyle Hendricks? Sure did. Oh, really? The what? Dartmouth guy is a lot richer. Well, that means uh, he came in last, of course. Uh-huh. On our poll last week, Cub fans 
Who do you want, uh, or should the Cubs extend first to a long-term deal? Wrap up, wrap up Bryant, 47%. Wrap up Baez, 21%. Wrap up Rizzo, 16%. And at the back of the pack, Kyle Hendricks, 15%. Uh, well, I think there's a reason for yeah, that. Yeah, there are. There's a reason because mm-hmm. he he would probably be the guy that would make the least. <laughs> um, oh, I, meant, I thought you meant that's why he came in last. You meant that's why they did it That's why first. they did it, right. Yeah, that's okay. why they did it first, because <laughs> after pleading, after saying you got no money, right. it would be difficult to say, well, here, we're going to give Chris Bryant all this cash. <laughs> well, why don't you save some of it and maybe get, you know, uh, go on out and get Craig Kimbrell or do something like that. But they didn't worry about it. I think he's getting what five million this year and a one one million a five million signing and a one million dollars or something like uh-huh. that. So it's not it's not you know super huge. I don't think for this year. But um, he was the one I think that was the easiest one to sign. Um, you know, I know he was on earlier this week on the radio station, and uh, he said maybe he'll go buy a good book or something. He's not worried about a car or anything like well, that. He's not going to go buy a no. you know, Lamborghini or anything like that. You know, well, the, so the bullpen. It's a Dartmouth guy. He said he might make a few investments. The bullpen should yes should be uh, okay. Uh, Strope will talk to Jesse Edwards. He's got that new goofy delivery they were working on in spring training. Let me ask you a question before we get to Jesse, and we can ask Jesse about this. Yeah. Do you have any idea what the hell Joe Madden was doing with two outs in the ninth inning of a 12-4 to game going to the bullpen from Mike Montgomery? No. What the hell is he doing? Not only was it stupid, but get the damn game over with. Let everybody go home. <laughs> It's 12 to 4. You know, Texas was running pitchers out there like crazy all afternoon long. Get it over with. They ran out six relief pitchers. Don't you think it was long enough of a game? Uh, just frustrating. How to speed up the game? Don't bring in Mike Montgomery when well, you're up by. Uh, yeah. What's the point? Seven, eight runs. Let's drop out there. Yeah. He got, to, got the first two guys, right? Montgomery pitched one third of an inning, one hit. One Ernie, one earned run, but only four pitches. Yeah, so. Stroke gave up a hit. Yeah. yeah, so there's one man on, and you're up, you're only up by eight. So let's go to the bullpen. It's, you know, you know, go I, figure. Swami Murph predicted this. Joe is going to do a lot of things that Joe could be perceived as doing just to stick it to the man. All right, you want me to be more hands-on? You want me to... We'll get to that more with Jesse. Yeah, I would rather I, he was sleeping on this one than just like, let Strope finish the game. See, I don't like this whole thing of all of a sudden, all the fingers. See, the finger pointing is starting, and it's all going to point to Joe. We're going to get to Joe talk in a few oh, minutes. Oh, yeah, we'll have plenty of it with Jesse. Let's go to our uh, current poll. Let's bring in Eric Ostrowski. All right. The question was on the poll, you are rooting for Duke to win it all. Yes or no? I always have uh, been of the contention that unless you're betting and gambling, then it's a different deal. I probably should have put that on there. But we know that half, we took a poll, what was it, last week? I think 57% says, yes, I'm watching partially because I'm gambling, which is fine, which is fine. The poll question, I have no idea where this is going to go. Are you rooting for Duke to win at all? At first... I thought it would be a big no. Uh-huh. Who wants to root for them? But then I was thinking coming in, I go to Ometra. 
which was only uh, 18 minutes behind today. So good, uh, really. There you getting, go. They're getting a bet together. Uh-huh. Yeah. But then, and then you brought it up first thing, Fred. We didn't discuss it in the pre-show love fest. Both fans want to see as much of this guy as they can, while right now they're dreaming about the 12.5%, right? May 14th, that's the day of the draft lottery. So I believe we're going to have an overwhelming runaway. Everyone's rooting for Duke because they want to see more and more of future bull, at least while it's fun. It's like when you buy, you know, the lotto ticket. Uh-huh. And until the lotto... Unless you buy it in Wisconsin, un- you're a loser. Until you lose, yeah. you got to play to win. I'm yep. going to win. Yep. So I'm going to up this dramatically from last night when I entered in the Twitter poll and EO11 uh, entered everything in. Fred, I think I'm going to boost this to about an 85% yes. Everyone wants Duke to win in Chicago so they can see more of Zion for many reasons. Uh, One yeah. is entertaining, don't yeah. get me wrong, but that's our guy of the future. I'm going to go to 70, All right. 70%. What do we have, Eric? All right, so uh, when I look at this poll, I think like you guys, and I want to see more Zion as much as I can, but I don't really care if they win the final game. So get to the final game just so I get to see as much as him. So I would vote no because I don't care if they win. 57% of the voters said no, they don't care if Duke wins at all. Huh. They are not rooting They're for not them. Rooting. Correct. Now, funny you should bring that up, Eric. I contemplated last night, not for about two seconds, but I was going to just say, are you rooting for Duke to get to the To make the finals, finals. yeah. Uh-huh. But then I felt that's maybe too open-ended, and then it, it skews. Excuse me for using uh-huh. that word. Skews everything. But so the yes, what do we have there? Do that for 43% me. 43% yes, 57% no. You did that? Oh, no, it's written there right <laughs> yeah. So uh, people are not overwhelmingly rooting for a Duke to win. All right, uh, Cub fans, in case you missed it last night, the St. Louis Cardinals, well, they were very euphoric. They were very happy. There's been were, two great games in Milwaukee, and that's what I expect for all year long in all the NL Central games. I think Goldschmidt took the collar game one. I believe he had a multiple strikeout night. But yeah, but you had but you had uh, Low Kane making the uh, oh, game-saving catch, jumping over the wall, and then throwing that? the ball up in the air. Man. I was watching it live. It was unbelievable. And uh, what a way to end the season opener with Josh Hader on the hill. And then yesterday, um, talk about a game that got away from Milwaukee a little bit earlier. When does Kane slow down? You know, uh, the, all the metrics. Well, you know, you get to age 31. Th- what is Kane? He's got to be 33. Lorenzo Kane. He's got to be up there a little in bit. In center yeah. field. Yeah. Man, as Fred was describing, if you didn't see it, an amazing. He is 32. He'll be 33 uh, in two weeks. All right. Well, there okay. you go. But uh, as Fred described, an amazing, and he does this all the time. Yeah. So it's not, I guess, amazing. And it's a perfect place to play to for him, him because in Milwaukee you can do that because mm-hmm. the fence is at a point where you can actually make those leaping catches yeah. a lot. Maybe he's been watching Adam Engel highlights. So Goldsmith says, all right, I got the big contract. I'm going to hit a home run. Yeah. So it's a home Then he says, First you know inning. what? I got a big contract. I'm going to another home run. Yeah. So it's another home run. And then what he says to himself, I got I got a big contract. And again, the 2-2. Goldschmidt, high drive, out to left. You bet he's done it. He's done it. Three home runs. Goldschmidt, three home run night. Three. Count him up. In his second game as a Cardinal. Three home runs. Goldschmidt. Highlight for the Cardinals, low light for Cup fans. 
Fox Sports Midwest. Now, uh, I understand the home announcers get excited. Everybody should be excited. But uh-huh. he said three so many times. It's yeah. almost as if it was five. I mean, it's almost as if it was like, a, you know, a world record or something. Guys do hit three home runs. Hot take. <laughs> yeah. Guys do hit three <laughs> home runs. But that was like, you know, I can't, it doesn't surprise me that a goal, Paul Goldschmidt hits three home runs in a game. It would surprise me if, you know, I don't know, uh, Colton Wong, who had two the other day. Well, he can hit. If he had a but third. But Goldschmidt. No. Right. If he had a third, that would surprise me a little bit. But, you know, I understand the announcer's excited. I'm sure everybody in St. Louis was jumping up and down. That's cool. So if uh, Eloy hits three homers, uh, Fermio, uh, well, light it up. Oh, there's another home run. Eloy <laughs> Jimenez. Light up the Woo. fireworks. What do you think, DJ? I think that was hit far. <laughs> So you got uh, two radio and two TV guys, and uh, what's up, friends? Can uh, in uh, about an hour? Uh uh-uh. uh, no. <laughs> All right, now. Not gonna, not gonna <laughs> criticize the uh, the local guys for a while. All right, give We're, me at least the second or third game. We are uh, playing that new uh, uh, game: uh, hot take, warm take, cold take. All right, I have a take, and then uh, Eric and, and then we Fred, got Jesse. Uh, tell me if it was a hot, a uh, uh, warm, or a cold. Cub fans were confused on Thursday. Uh, Mark Zagunas, 25th man on the roster, corner outfielder, good, got a, got a good bet, got a, got a good bet. Cup fans were confused Thursday, Mark Zagunas, everybody, will not be taking playing time from Kyle Schwarber. Mark Zagunas will be taking playing time from Jason Hayward. Uh, I Thank think you. Hot take. I think that's a cold take. Really? Yeah. See... The guy that's going to end up, Joe didn't want to not play Hayward opening day for all those mental reasons, the respect and all that. Okay. Though I know you're supposed to win 162. That's two out of three. Two out of three is bad. Right. Now, so I believe that the next time this scenario comes around, left-handed pitcher on the mound, and the DH was sort of involved, even though it was Zobrist, you know. The next time this comes around throughout the year, I think Zagunas is going to be, quote-unquote, stealing playing time, not from Schwarber, but from Hayward, and be out in right field. I got that as a hot take. Fred's got it as a cold take. We'll ask Jesse. Eric? I'd say it's a hot take. I I think that... uh... Here's a dollar. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that. Buy me for some breakfast. See, take. You got taken. Very good. Mm -hmm. Jesse coming up in a few minutes. Murphy, is it time for a break? Okay, good. Back in a flash with Jesse Rogers. I had premature breakage a little earlier. Sorry about that. It's ESPN 1000. Not just all right, even better, because one minute away from Jesse Rogers. And keep listening. We've got a four-pack of tickets to give away to the White Sox home opener coming up on Thursday, April 4th. That's this Thursday at Guaranteed Rate Field. Mm -hmm. Keep listening. Great seats are available. You can get yours at WhiteSox.com. Thursday, uh, the opener uh, and south side. We'll get Sox talk rolling uh, after we visit with Jesse. Hey, vote now. At the uh, Murph and Fred Fan Focus Group Twitter poll, vote at ESPN 1000. Cup fans, multiple choice, A or B, so it's not that multiple. Outfielder, 
Mike Zagunas will steal most of his at-bats from A, Kyle Schwarber. I don't like this. He's Schwarber it. Or B, Jason Hayward. Time for Jesse Rogers. Jesse. Morning, Jesse, Murph, and Fred. Morning, fellas. We're hey. back, right? Yeah. Late season, yes. new, new year, Murph and Fred. Hey, uh, Jess, I was wondering, being down in Texas, have you bought one of those 10-gallon uh, hats? You're walking around with a hat so you fit in, boots with spurs on them, oh, all that spurs stuff? spurs make it, 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 yeah. It's funny you say that, because downstairs in the in the gift shop <laughs> at the hotel here, they, they have a... Uh, like I don't know, two dozen of those hats. Sure. And I was looking at them yesterday. I was thinking about at least taking a picture and tweeting it out, and you know, saying, "Is this a good look or whatever?" So I might come home with one, Fred. You never know. That'd be nice. Yeah. Remember, nice, yes. if you buy chaps, you still wear the pants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now Jesse, we're playing a game today called "Well, Hot Take, Warm Take, Cold Take." All right, you know, because I like it. All my takes aren't hot. In fact, most of them are warm, and some are cold. So. My take a few minutes ago, and Fred, uh, uh, he... I said cold take. He proclaimed it a cold uh, take, but Eric, <laughs> unbelievable, he, he said it was a hot take, right, Eric? Pigs do fly, Merv. Yes, they do. do fly. Yes, they do. Especially in Pink Floyd The take album. was this, Jesse, that mm-hmm. uh, Cup fans were a little confused on uh, Thursday. Schwarbs! Where's Schwarbs? And my uh, take was Mark Zagunas... He'll steal most of the at-bats, uh, you know, as long as he's on the team and in the mix and uh, the rotation. He'll steal most of his at-bats, not from Kyle Schwarber, but from Jason Hayward. Joe didn't want to, you know, not play Jason Hayward the opening day, the respect of the veteran and all that. Uh, but I think at the same and there was a DH, and, you know, no two uh, situations are ever identical, but the lefty, I believe that... When this type of situation comes up, Schwarbs will be in there. Uh, and Hayward, right field is where you might find uh, uh, Zagunas. Uh, hot take, uh, warm take, cold take. Definitely not a cold take. I mean, it's either a warm or a hot take. Um, I, I, I just don't see Zagunas getting that many starts. And right. I think you and I were texting a little bit. I, I, I think you're right on the money on one thing. Yeah. There's, they're not going to face that many lefty starters. It, there's not that many in the Central Division. Um, last year, and I haven't looked at all the rosters, it came up a lot when they played the NL West in particular. The Kershaws of the world, the Robbie Rays, guys out West a little bit. They would, they would face the lefties. There's not that many lefties. I don't think Zagunis is going to get that many starts. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if he gets hot, things might change, although Joe doesn't really go off of that either. So, you know, it's a warm take because he'll fill in for Hayward, he'll fill in for Schwarber, but it won't be more than once in a while. And again, because they only face a lefty once in a while. That's my, my feeling on it. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, I believe the National League Central, and as Jesse knew the other day, I said 76. That's the number of games intra within the division. You play 19 games against each of the four teams. 
The only lefty that I really found in the uh, rotation was uh, Alec Wood uh, at the Reds, and he's on the shelf right now. I don't even know if there's any other left-handed starters, but as you say, Jesse, it's very rare uh, these days. Now, the Cubs, <laughs> the, Cubs are the ones who have Yeah, fight. the Cubs have three yeah. out of five left-handed rotation uh, guys. Uh, let's take another look here. Uh, you know, the Joe Madden thing, uh, in fact, I have a take that I was going to hold back. I'm just doing this right now. Even if Joe Madden leads the Cubs to the World Series this year, win or lose, even if they get to the World Series, I say Joe's gone anyway. The common, common, uh, you know, statements are, well, no, no, he's got to get to the World Series to save his job. That doesn't mean he would accept coming back. Something just tells me the way that Joe Madden's wired and Lord knows, you know, I've never met the guy, never talked to him, never had a, a drink with him at, at uh, Benny's. Uh, Jesse, is it a slam dunk that if the Cubs make it to the World Series, win or lose the World, that Joe's back? I think so. I think so, and I'll tell you why um, on his end. I think he understands what's going on in the game. He's very acutely aware of his surroundings, meaning mm-hmm. he's 65, going to be 66. Uh, the, 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 the money to managers isn't going to be there like it, like it has been. Even if he had to take a little bit of a pay cut, and I don't know if he would if he got to the World Series, that'd be kind of harsh. But either way, I think he understands that, I don't want to say he's on borrowed time, but he knows that he's a dinosaur in this game. And there's a Bochy's about to retire, Sosha retired. He understand. He'd love to manage till he's seventy, and he'd love to be in Chicago. And if it's three million instead of six million, I still think he'd be okay with that. He loves the game that much, but understands things have changed. You can pay Alex Cora under a million to win a World Series. Um, now, I think an NL manager is actually worth a little bit more without the DH. I think there's more to to handle, um, and I think Madden is worth the forty years of experience he brings. So I'm going to say yes because he understands. In some ways, he's almost on borrowed time, and that's my feeling on it. Jess, you were probably uh, leaving the press box on your way down to the locker room for the post game and everything else. What the hell was Joe Madden doing pulling out Strope with two outs in the ninth and bringing in Montgomery? Just getting guys work. I mean, if Strope had gotten out of it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have mattered, obviously. Um, it's just the day off yesterday. Uh, coming off spring, uh, where at the end there, not everyone's pitching that much. Strope hadn't pitched that much. Montgomery hadn't pitched that much. That's it. That's it. I mean, no, nobody nobody enjoyed it, but that's that's <laughs> the that's the era we're in. You know, pitching change after pitching change. But it was just about getting work. Um, but again, if Strope had gotten an easy inning, then Montgomery would have never gotten that work. Of course, Montgomery got hit. I thought he was he might uh, gave up a home run. I thought he might make another pitching change after Montgomery. <laughs> Yeah. Gave that up, but that—that's all it was. Okay, Rob Manfred yeah. would have uh, had a heart attack if that had happened. Yeah. Oh, well, after Texas used six relievers, yeah. so I mean it was a hard <laughs> game to watch anyway. You know, it, it, it's funny you bring this up because I, I more and more think about this, and I think Theo is leaning this way towards a limited pitching staff, limited number pitching staff instead of the three batter minimum. Uh, I think that if you have an eleven man pitching staff max. It will solve a lot of problems, and one of them is what we saw yesterday. Uh, it would almost take care of the three batter minimum in itself. 
you'd have to leave pitchers in there that are because of you know playing every day and you can't go back to th- back to back to back and all that. So a guy that normally would, might pitch one batter will pitch three or four anyway if you have a limited amount. I think an 11-man staff is probably a better answer than a three-batter minimum, but that's, that might be for another show. And uh, I'll augment that. Theo, about three years ago, he was the first person I ever heard state, he said, I would not be against a two-batter Minimum. And that was like out of the blue. Uh-huh. I had not ever heard any talk about it, anything that that was in discussion, long-term plan, and poof, there's Theo. He goes, you know what, maybe the uh, two, yeah, got to come in, got to face two batters, get the thing rolling, now it's three on the table talk, you know. So he's always been on that corner. Yes, I agree. And he's always been on the corner of you can't just do one thing, you have to do a bunch at once. And we, we've seen Rob Manfred try to do that Theo's on the competition committee. I think he, he's had a voice in all this stuff, probably you know, quietly. He's not boasting or anything about it because there's other guys on the committee as well, obviously. But he's always been like, let's attack three or four or five things at once instead of just doing one at a time kind of thing. So I think you're seeing that over these next two years. It's gonna, they're going to address about a half a mm-hmm. dozen things. Sure. But I, 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 even though they're, they're leaning towards the three-batter minimum, I like the idea of a max number of, uh, on mm-hmm. the pitching staff. That doesn't intrinsically change the strategy within right. a game. Now, obviously, it does in some ways. You're out of pitchers, you're out of pitchers. But forcing a, guy, uh, forcing a manager to use a pitcher for three batters really changes the strategy in-game like we've never seen before. Jess, um, do you think... Do you think at the end of the season, David Bodie will have more plate appearances than Albert Elmora? Hot take! Yeah. <laughs> that would be quite the hot take. I'm going to say no, because right now Elmora is your only center fielder on the team. I mean, unless you love Hayward in center every day, which can, you don't even love Hayward in the lineup every day. But so. can, Bodie play out, can Bodie play center? I wouldn't doubt that Bodie could play the outfield, but he hasn't. Okay. He hasn't, okay. really. But but the guy's athletic enough, and I mean, I, I, has a good enough arm, all that stuff. I think he could. It, it's not a bad take, you know. I, I'm 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 on, I'm buying high on Bodie right now. I, I'm 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 I like that. I'm buying stock on Bodie. I think he's got a great chance in April. You saw him already, two for four, good at bats. I had a great spring, but um, the way Almora plays center, he's going to be out there. Maybe, you know, look, in, in terms of games played, Almora is going to play a, almost 162, meaning right. he's going to come in a lot of games. Maybe Bodie gets as many plate appearances. Uh, I'll say this. It could be equal by the end of the year if Bodie is as good as we think he could be. Speaking of uh, Bodie, who is the Cubs' backup shortstop? Let's say that Baez... Gets in an argument with the uh, umpire, home plate ump, and he's launched, thrown out, ejected, hit the showers in the second inning. Is Bodie the backup shortstop, or would, what yes. would yeah, yeah, yeah? He played it some in spring. I think he's their best option. Um, I don't think people realize, you know, they, they saw him at third. He was great. He's great at second as well. He's really good. Mm-hmm. People were asking me between Zobrist and Bodie, who would you have at second? Who would you DH oh, wow. if it was between? Yeah. Absolutely, Bodie. Uh-huh. And I think he, I think he could handle it short term. at short, but it is different. It's probably it's the most difficult position there in the infield, probably. So I, I don't know if he could do it for months on months, but I think he could handle it within a game or a couple games, whatever the case may be. As is, if Bias takes a day off in April, and he may not. 
Bodie will start right. at shortstop. And uh, the much, uh, on my part, uh, maligned uh, Jason McLeod, uh, give him a tip of the hat, that was a uh, drafted uh, farm guy, that Bodie, that has uh, uh, made it uh, and helps out and might get even better, as uh, Jesse and Fred were just talking about. Uh, you Darvish pitches today, tonight, which is an interesting storyline in that he played for the uh, Rangers. And I saw a quote, he says, I'm smiling more now than I have in the last seven years. And uh, it's always nice to have a player happy, I guess, but I'd rather have a player healthy and winning. He says he can throw 100 pitches if he needs to tonight. Not that it's a big outing in the sense of it's a long season, but right. it is a big outing, isn't it? I mean, in some ways it is, yeah. And it's just, it has been weird to hear him say he's happier and all these things. I don't get exactly why he's happier. I mean, uh, he hasn't really done anything in Chicago. He hasn't... I don't get it. I don't get it. It's almost like he's telling himself he's happier now. Uh-huh. Maybe because he's healthy, but, I mean, there were years he was healthy in Texas, right? So I don't know, maybe because he knows where he's playing for the next few years and he's making a lot of money and he's healthy. Maybe it's just the whole combination. I don't quite get why he's telling us he's happier when nothing's really happened to make him happier except <laughs> the things I just mentioned. So, look, I don't care what he says. I care what he does. Yeah. And it was a good enough spring to, to be optimistic, but I'm more worried about the fifth inning jams than anything else. Health looks pretty good. Blisters healed up. I saw the finger the other day. I mean, look, the Cubs had every option to move him back in the rotation if the blister was a problem. They did not. So I would expect he has good stuff. He's going to face, you know, the stuff is fine. The finger's fine. He's going to face at least five lefties in this lineup. You'll see the Cubs shift a lot. Let's see how he deals with the scouting report. He knows this team as well as any team he's going to face. The the pieces are in place. You've heard that one before. (laughs) The pieces are in place for a good start, good start to the season for him. We'll see. All the places are in pieces. Back to you, Fred. (laughs) You mentioned they'll they'll shift a lot, and it's the weirdest thing in the world when you look at it because Joe Madden was one of the first guys uh, to do it with Tampa and shift so often. And now the last couple of years, the Cubs have actually been one of the teams that have shifted the fewest times. Um, Do you expect them to shift more tonight against some of the lefties? I mean, because yeah, and on, the, and this particular, on this particular team, against this particular team, okay. yes, Fred. It's not a philosophy change by Madden. It's just about who they've played. Think about the lefties in the division, for example. You don't shift against Joey Votto. Right. Um, it, the funny thing is the Cubs have the two lefties you shift against, Rizzo and Schwarber. Yeah. But they haven't played as many le- against as many lefties that you need to shift. So it's not a change of philosophy. It's just what the spray charts show. The charts show you do shift against these Rangers lefties, but when they get back in the division, they won't shift as much. As, I don't think. Um, you know, uh, you know, Eric Thames isn't playing as much. For example, you would shift against him. He doesn't play as much anymore. You don't shift against Votto. So just thinking about the guys in the division, there's not that many lefties you shift against. Well, is there a chance they could put a uh, an outfielder in the first or second row of the bleachers when they face Goldschmidt? Man, that was quite a performance. Wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we're talking about. This is going to be a great uh, in-division series. Now, the days that, that Hater's not available are the days you got to beat the Brewers, and that's what you saw last night. The Cardinals extend their lead, or they got, it was back-and-forth game. Right. Um, and, and, you know, without Hater, you're able to do some damage, and now they got to make up without Knable. So it's, it's, you know, the days that Hater is available, you just got to hope and pray because he looked great in game one. 
And then obviously the the Cardinals scored a lot in Game Two. So Goldschmidt, man, what a performance! You know, it's, uh, it's going to be a great year. We, we've been saying it. I think it's going to live up to it. Jesse Rogers, a uh, few minutes remaining. I always appreciate Jesse's time. He goes it's, up. He, the, the Cubs play tonight. What you got yeah. to do? Well, he goes up and down the elevator and gets coffee <laughs> and hope he runs into someone important. <laughs> Pretty much my, my yeah, that's pretty much my existence, Murph. <laughs> just wait until I run into somebody important. He's got his, he's got his recorder or his phone just yeah. ready to go, waiting for right. Theo or Jed to get on the yeah. elevator. Murph, the other day we were out with uh, some of the colleagues, Gordon Wintmeyer, Mark Gonzalez, and I told the Jack Nicholson story. Oh, Maybe yeah. you'll retell that. we got to find the tape. When Jack Nicholson was actually on with the Murph show, we yeah. got to find that tape. Yeah, he was uh, in the bathroom. Yes, he was. Yes. <laughs> True story. Yeah. <laughs> At, uh... Lakers Bulls game in Los Angeles. And Mur- Mur- no, it was, it was uh, UCLA Final Four. That's oh, yeah, what it was. Yeah, yeah. J- and Jess- Mur- Murph, Fred Murph tells him, "You better watch your wallet because Jesse's got the quickest hands in Northbrook." And, yeah. and Nicholson shoots back, the "Quickest hands? You ought to see him in the bathroom yeah. just now." Yeah. <laughs> And uh, there you go. And no one hit the dump button either. Well, no reason. <laughs> and, and Jesse as as he didn't swear. Back, uh, something I wanted to ask. I'm glad you guys yeah. brought up the shift, which. You know, a lot of things. I don't want to hear about it. The Reds in spring training put the four-man outfield in versus Bryant. Now, that was the only time I heard it was done. I know know, you're not at every game because you're traveling or this and that. Did you see anyone or did did anyone else put the four-man outfield shift against Bryant that you are aware of? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Not that I'm aware of. But All he right. did expect it at least once or twice in season. He thinks he'll see it at some point in season. Mm-hmm. It's funny when they're playing these games in Texas, and you'll see more today. One of the one of the easiest places to hit the ball, and I guess they were. I think Len was trying to explain it because of the wind that comes to that ballpark where Bryant hit the, his home run. So many home runs at that ballpark get hit to right, right. center field. Yeah, for years, right center has been known as the the sort of the jet stream area uh-huh. to hit the ball. Uh, Lester talked about that. Of course, he was in the American League for many years. You, that's where you want to hit it. You don't want to hit it to left. Uh, and you, the other day was a perfect example. Balls died in left, but they flew out to right. And you saw Baez go that way. Brian, yep. it's 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 it, it, knowing that is good practice for right-handers to go the other way when you're pitched out there, right? You know what I mean? Like if you know that. You're trying to hit the other way at times, and I'm not sure that Baez and Brian did that on purpose, but it certainly helped going that way. Well, and you saw Baez. He was going to all parts. He went to the right field corner, too, So, and, and that ball that was, uh, was caught, I think, up so against the So impressive the, home run, the first home run he hit on the 0-2 pitch. Now, it wasn't a perfect pitch it, uh, you know, to hit for a home run. It also wasn't a, a perfect a pitcher's pitch. It was somewhere in between. It definitely was low outside, not as maybe uh, outside as the pitcher wanted. But to go down and recognize off-speed out there and pull it and get it out, I thought that was a really great adjustment by Baez right there. And um, Man, uh, I, I thought he had the best final week of spring training of everybody, anybody on the Cubs. He was scorching the ball all over the field, so good start for him as well. See, I heard you say that the other day. Warm take. His, <laughs> I thought the second homer was better because it's just because it's Apple. Now, Jesse's very on point. The first home run, it was down and away. He reached out and lofted it and launched it, pulled it. Now, the next home run was higher uh, and away, 
and he drove it to right center. To me, I love seeing him when he goes, and almost any hitter, don't get me wrong, when they start taking the outside oppo and not trying to roll it over, which he could have done with that first homer, but he didn't. I mean, he hit it. But right. I would say they were both impressive. I don't know that I would put the, the uh, first homer uh, above the second homer. The only reason I'll say it is he, he is not a pull-happy guy. He really hasn't been for a while. So to see him go mm-hmm. to right center like that wasn't shocking to me. Right. You know, there are other guys that it would surprise me on, but he's, not, he's never been a rollover, you know, pull-happy guy. So I feel like that's his game to go, use the whole field. And, yeah, they were both impressive, let's face it. But I just think on an 0-2 pitch, mm-hmm. I'm not sure he hit many 0-2 home runs right. last year. In fact, I should look that yeah, up. Okay. I, I, I would bet he may not have hit one 0-2 home run, maybe, maybe, maybe one or two. But I thought that was what, what was impressive about it. Yeah. I thought what was shocking was that Jesse Chavez, who had a chance to see him for the second half of the year last year, yeah. threw him a fastball for the first <laughs> pitch, and it was a hittable fastball. And let me tell you, yeah. to me, that's, that's Javi's baseball IQ mm-hmm. coming out right there. He, he, he it felt like afterwards he kind of understood what was coming right away, right. knowing Chavez a little bit. He didn't say it you know, directly, but it just sounded like he knew a little bit more than than the average guy on what was going to come from Chavez, and he, and he jumped him, no doubt. Final quickie, Jesse, let's talk uh, about Chatwood. This will tie in a little bit with the uh, you know three-batter uh, minimum uh, uh, talk. Here's a guy, Chatwood. We all know he's got lights-out stuff. We all know his problem. Last year, terrible with the yips. He's still doing a lot of that maneuvering, I believe, in his glove hand and a pitching hand where he rocks it back and forth. They were going to try to eliminate that to simplify, uh, you know, the motion, the delivery, and all that. But there's a new thing coming around. I've heard a couple, you know, I don't know if they're experts, but you read this occasionally now. The loogie, you know, left-handed, one-out guy, L-O-O-G-Y, you know, maybe a extinct uh, a, a bird pretty soon. But... right. The OMG guy. That's the O for one inning M max effort guy. The OMG, the one out max effort guy. Chatwood might be the biggest surprise in the bullpen this year. Now, if he can do, again, spring training means nothing. But he's the classic one out, uh, one inning max effort guy. He can come in. And if he knows I'm just in for one inning and he can just blow it lights out, you know, this guy might be the sleeper. We will find out. But I'm not going to count him out yet. Well, talk about the three batter minimum. I mean, uh, there's going to be a lot of former starters that are going to continue to have jobs starting next year if they implement that new rule. Think about it. You you need those guys that can face the lefties and the righties. I think a chat would, would be great during the, th- you know, if, if there's a three batter minimum. Let me say this yeah. about spring training with Chatwood. He was such a mess last year that if he had come in and had been a mess again, he wouldn't be on this team. So he actually needed to do something in the spring, and he was not anything close to a disaster. If you, if you eliminate last year and just looked at the sp- at spring, you'd say, oh, that's just a normal pitcher getting ready. He had one bad outing, he was getting ready. For- you're right. He could be the surprise. I didn't think he, he mm-hmm. could. I don't think he could do it. I didn't think he no, could do it. No. But I'm willing to give him a shot. Yeah. I, I mean, to think of him mid-inning to come in and get guys out and then start the next inning or, or max out for one inning, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still going to have my doubts like everyone else. But he was not the mess, I mean, that, that we, we saw. And mm-hmm. the, the movement you're talking about, it has been minimized. Yes. It is a cleaner delivery. It's not perfect, I know, yeah. but it is a cleaner delivery. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to give him that shot in the bullpen. But you know he's going to have that outing that's going to go south and everyone's going to go nuts. As long as it's 
no more. <laughs> he doesn't have any more of those outings than yeah. anyone else. Everyone's going to have a bad one, but if he can have four or five good ones and then a bad one, maybe he can do this thing. From Arlington, Texas, our urban cowboy. He's going to go down and ride the bull now. No, no, we have not been getting bull for the last 20 minutes. No, no, no. I don't think. Jesse doesn't Jesse. Right. Brad, just for you, I'm going to go down there. I'm just going to try on the cowboy hat. That would be cool. Yeah, right. definitely. I don't know if I'm going to buy it because I'm yeah. cheap, but I'm going to try it on. I bought one last year because I had a uh, country wedding to go to. And you, so you, I, it, it, you look. I could just. You look better in it than I. I, I, I that's that's not me, but I'm going to do it for you. I'll post a picture yeah. of mine. It, it was. It's not a bad look. Uh, and, and do not put the chaps on backward. Whatever you do. All right, Jesse. Thanks, buddy. Great job. Right, talk to you next week. All right, Jesse Rogers, Smurf and Friends. Hopefully, I get a chance to talk to Jesse tomorrow because I'm working tomorrow from uh, yeah. ten till one, and uh, before the Cubs wrap up that series in Texas. Oh, I want to uh, ask Jesse how he would have voted. Uh, Twitter poll right now is jumping. Uh, Sox fans, Cubs fans, these are on board right now. Sox fans, who will lead the White Sox? Multiple choice in home runs this year. Jose Abreu, Eli Jimenez, or Daniel Palka. And Cub fans, I want to ask Jesse this, which is the Cubs' strong suit? Very simple. A, pitching. B, hitting. Vote right now. I'm not sure I got a quick answer on that. We'll be here till noon. I'll have time to get an answer. Vote now back in a flash. Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner, back together on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. All right, halfway home on a busy three-hour sports talk show. Murph and Fred will have some uh, Twitter poll results. You've been voting all day on will the Bears miss Jordan Howard? A, big time. B, well, you know, maybe a little bit. RC. Nope, not at all. Huh. You got well, does, something to give away there? Yeah, we got four pack of tickets to give away to the White Sox home opener this coming Thursday at Guaranteed Rate Field. Great mm-hmm. seats available. Uh, you can get yours at whitesox.com. That's this Thursday, okay. April 4th. The White Sox with uh, six straight um, afternoon games. So you okay. got some time off in the after- during the day. A buddy of mine just mm-hmm. retired. I said, you know what? Maybe we'll go out to yeah. the ball game. When are we going to do this giveaway? Um, I I'm, I'm not going to tell you exactly, right. but you might want to be listening in the next half hour or so. <laughs> okay. So, well, I plan to be. Well, if you're listening now, you heard me say it, so <laughs> hopefully you'll keep listening. Well, we have to listen. Yes. Okay. And, and uh, we appreciate everyone who doesn't have to listen. That is. Who, who does. Yes. Yeah, that's okay. nice of them. In a few minutes, I want to get to uh, Jordan Howard. But we have a Twitter poll that's been up for about two, two and a half hours. What the fans uh, say, uh, EO11, Eric Ostrowski, will the Bears miss running back Jordan Howard uh, big time? They will uh, miss him, yes, maybe uh, a little, or I know they're not going to miss him at all. Why don't you go from the bottom up? All right, so only uh, saying will the Bears miss him, 15% Uh saying, yeah, they'll miss him big time. Wow. That's not the way I was feeling uh, earlier this week from listening. Uh, Go on. 30% of the voters saying that the Bears will miss Jordan Howard just a bit. Or not a bit. Sorry, what? Uh huh. I know it's a bad bit because it's confusing. (laughs) And then 55% Uh say the Bears will miss Jordan Howard maybe Maybe a little. All right, well, that's, that's fair. Uh, I went with not a bit. Yeah, well, not a bit, of course. Uh, They did work out uh, running back from Ohio State, so they're uh, they're definitely going to draft a running back. You would think so. In the 
Well, Maybe the first pick. And before... Which for them is third round, don't get me wrong. Before yeah. I came in here, yeah. we were listening uh, to Mel Kuyper on the National, mm-hmm. um, ESPN National, and he actually said that this is the best year that he can remember for safeties. And yeah. that's not a bad idea to go on out and grab a young safety mm. uh, for the Bears, maybe in the fourth or fifth or whatever, however, you know, yeah. whatever they get a chance to do that. Because, uh, you know, ha-ha Clinton Dick's coming in to uh, replace um, Amos. We'll see how that works out. But, uh, you know, he's a, he knows he knows uh, Eddie Jackson. So that should be a big help. Uh, Dan Orlovsky was uh, visiting, I think it might have been with Cap. This is about 10 days ago. Normally we like to play things that are fresher, but this is very appropriate. Sure. He was talking about uh, why Howard does not fit in the uh, Bears' offensive grand scheme. Well, I would say that the the number one thing is he's kind of a, a one-trick pony, if you want to call it, and that's not necessarily a disrespectful description, but he's a little bit limited in what you want to ask him to do. He's, he's a guy that uh, it can certainly be physical, but he doesn't have a ton of speed, and he's not going to be a guy that gets to the edge. You don't throw him the ball a ton. And so Nagy's this guy that almost, you know, if you think about the New England Patriots, I've always said that the Patriots don't really have receivers or running backs. They just have football players, and they're interchangeable. They just figure out ways to ask them to do a bunch of different things. Nagy kind of likes that with his football players as well. He wants guys to be able to do – a bunch of different things. So that's where the offense can get super creative and get those matchups that he's looking for. And Jordan Howard just doesn't do that. Now, everyone's going to go, well, Mike Davis does. Mike Davis doesn't do it to the level of like a Tariq Cohen, but he's got more in his bag. He can get to the outside. He can be a pass catcher. He can go downhill. And so Jordan Howard doesn't have, or at least he hasn't shown all those traits, those attributes that Nagy really wants of, you know, nowadays we're calling it positionless football. There's some good stuff right there. That's funny. There's p- positionless football. There's positionless yeah. basketball. The only sport you can't be positionless in is baseball. In it, baseball, you can't be positionless. Unless of the shifts. Because sh- when well, they shift, that's right, then but they're, they're not in a position. But they're changing the rule. <laughs> they're gonna say, no, no, you got to yeah, stand yeah, yeah. right there. Yeah, but they're, they're not going to say that the third, maybe the third baseman can still go over and play where the second baseman is, and the shortstop can stay where he is. I don't know. There's going to be two on each side of the base. Yeah, they're gonna, we'll see. Well, they want more hits going I through. Know. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying I like it. For the last five years of his his career, Paul Konerko lost so many hits because yeah. he had a ball right up the middle over the pitcher's head, yeah. and there was a guy standing right there. Mm-hmm. And that's just called good scouting. Yeah. There was a guy I worked with, uh, a wee Willie Keeler, back around 1914, there you go. 1912, uh-huh. I believe. He hit him, what did he say? Hit him where? Hit him where they ain't. Hit him where they ain't. Right. That's right. Of course, the ball was coming in about 72 miles an hour. There was a great poll <laughs> done by The Athletic talking to a bunch of players, yeah. and they asked him about the shift, and a lot of the players said, learn how to hit the other way. And, uh, you know, uh, they were probably all the players well, that right. don't get shifted against. Well, and it's easier said than done when they're throwing 99 well, sinkers di- darting and, bu- you know, it's not as easy. Got to figure it, it out. Got to figure it out. But but they can't. Well, they can. Others well, do. Anthony Rizzo does. Many can't. Okay. <laughs> no, you're... But you, then you can. Well, if others do, then it's possible, right? But then... Everyone says, I'm calling in because the game is nothing but the walk strikeouts and home runs. 
Yeah. We'll get to that a little bit later, oh. maybe. Because oh. I got a take on that later, and I want to find out if it's cold or warm okay. or hot. Sounds good. Speaking, though, quickly to wrap up the uh, Bears uh, moment, this is our this is our guy, Nagy. Now, they're talking. This is today in the Adam Johns, uh, sometimes Bears beat guy. And they're talking about the offense, and now they're talking about uh, Cordero Patterson, who, you know, we... We tried to break down and figure out what they were going to do with him. You know, wide receiver, slot, occasional back, motion guy, kick returner. He says, now this this is Nagy all the way, Fred. I don't know if you saw this. I did. We saw a role for him, Nagy said. You see what he did in New England with the jet sweeps, the arounds. He doesn't say end around. The jet sweeps, the arounds. Which I should have thought were the same thing. Well, it's funny because a lot of people call end arounds reverses. Which when, they're not. Which right. they're not, right. It's got to go one way and then the other. Uh-huh. Right. Then if it goes again, then it's a double reverse. Yeah. But people think that a reverse, that an end around is a reverse. You're right. right. But here's the best part. But for me, and he's talking about Patterson, it's kind of like I'm a kid in a candy store. That's it. They can't wait. He can't wait to make plays. And that's... Why Howard's not there? Well, the other thing Nagy said is that the Patriots actually set up and ran the ball with him as the running back. Oh, with yeah. Cordero Patterson right. as a running back. Uh-huh. So do not be surprised. I heard people the last couple days say, well, he's not going to be lined up as a running back. He did line up as sure. a running back with the Patriots, and the odds are he will be doing that for the Bears at time. Maybe that's the difference in Nagy's lingo. Between the jet sweep, which used to be called the called the end around, right, and just an around. Well, you know, <laughs> he runs jet sweeps, arounds, and screens. So, I love it because you know there's always all this new lingo, right? And I love it for a guy like this. Three three two three seven seven six. You know, Eric, you ran a commercial during the last break, caught my attention. Here's about ten seconds of it. It's March, and that means March Madness is here at Circle K. Busted brackets, buzzer beaters, and upsets are coming as the new official sports drink of NCAA March Madness. Body uh, Armor is here to hydrate the All right. March Madness. Fred, I know that this is a uh, topic dear to your heart. I did a little research. This is such an in- this is so interesting, and there was a perfect example. Uh, Murph and Fred, take a quick break. A lot of voting going on right now. We want your uh, results. Sox fans, who will lead the White Sox in homers this year? Abreu, Eli, Daniel Polka. I don't think this is a slam dunk easy answer, Fred. Mm-hmm. And Cub fans need your uh, vote also. Which is the Cubs' strong suit this year? Is it it's a very simple question? Pitching or hitting? All that and more back in a flash. It's ESPN 1000. White Sox! White Sox! Go! Go! White Sox! There goes Fred doing the polka around our studio not right now. Polka. Sit down. Not the polka. No, no, it's a Twitter poll. Yes. What do you got there, Fred? We got uh, a four-pack of tickets to the White Sox home opener this Thursday, April 4th at Guaranteed Rate Field. Be one of the first 20,000 fans in attendance. Receive a White Sox long sleeve T-shirt presented by CIBC. Get your tickets, WhiteSox.com. See you on April 4th. Or yes. you can get a four-pack of tickets if you're the first 
person to come up with this correct answer. 312 Do you have the question yet? Yes. Oh, okay. Who was the last pitcher that also pitched for the Cubs hmm. before Jose Quintana? Yeah. That pitched an opening day for the White Sox. Early win? 312-332-3776. I don't think Mr. No. Wynn pitched, pitched for, for the, the Northsiders. No. no. So, again, <laughs> the last pitcher that pitched for the Cubs mm. before Jose Quintana that yeah. pitched an opening day for the White Sox. Is it bigger than a bread box? Um, okay. Will we know the name when we hear it? Yes, you will. Okay, good. Yes, you will. All right. I was going to ask who was the last guy to pitch an opening day at Comiskey Park. That was mm. Melito Perez. Ooh. That might have been a little bit tougher. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we were th- we were talking, and we're going to get to this real quickly hmm. about the March Madness, but oh, the White Sox at Kauffman Stadium opened up. They've been at Kauffman Stadium three of the last five years. Yeah, and that's right. And three of the last seven, they've opened at U.S. Cellular Field, which is now guaranteed rate, which means it was awful conditions probably anyway. Mm-hmm. The only time in the last seven years they've opened in a warm place, they were in Oakland back in uh, 2016. It's screwy. Yeah, it's yeah, really weird. It's screwy. They've got a lot of times. So now they open up, at, at, you know, at Kauffman Stadium, and that's mm-hmm. a it's a ballpark where it was it was supposed to be seventy one the other day. It sure yeah. didn't look like it got that warm. No, no. They said that it was supposed to be seventy one degrees. Yeah, I don't think it was during the game. It didn't look like that. Fred, I found a uh, site called Feed Your Brain. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Feed Your Brain. Did it say kale and a bunch of other no. stuff or what? No, but... Uh, that might be good for you. Sounds like something from back in the 60s, doesn't it? Yeah. Feed your head. Feed your brain. How March got so mad. The story behind NCAA basketball tournament, March Madness, it's called. Uh-huh. When did it start? How did it get the nickname March Madness, you might wonder? Well... They did a little history here, and I know, Fred, this is a a fun topic of yours over uh, the time I've known you. Thanks to a 1939 article uh, in the Illinois High School Association uh, newsletter, their assistant executive secretary, Henry Porter. Henry Porter. Henry, I I knew Henry. Oh, Mr. Porter. This is 1939. Uh The article was entitled that he wrote, March Madness. It appeared in the IHSA's official magazine, Illinois Interscholastic. The high school basketball tournaments were becoming popular. And within three years, 1942, Mr. Porter, he wrote a poem for the uh, publication. And uh, the title of his poem was The Basketball Ides of Mark. It's pretty funny, too. It was put to music by Jim Peterick. Yes. <laughs> Uh, that was his vehicle, yes. <laughs> Base, basketball Ides of March. Here was his little poem. A sharp shooting mite. That'd be a little guy in the old days, a mite. A sharp shooting mite is king tonight. The madness of March is running. The winged feet fly. The ball sails high. And field goal hunters are gunning. Very, very cool. Yeah, very cool back in the day. Uh, the field goal hunters and their gunning. Uh, and that was in 1942 where he coined uh, the madness of March. All right. It's interesting because um, down at Peoria, when I go for the state high school basketball tournament, yeah. Paul, the PA announcer down there, ah. constantly says each and every year before each and every game, mm-hmm. the original oh. March madness. All right. So, yeah, the Illinois State High School. Well, the story gets better because in 1982, mm-hmm. Brent Musburger, I think most of us have heard of him or remember him, uh, 
uh, CBS main sports announcer back then. He was well-known for coverage. Musburger was the NBA, the Masters, college basketball studio host, CBS's football show, The NFL Today. Boy, Jim Nance is happy he retired. Prior to that, here we go, Brent Musburger had begun his career as a sports writer and broadcaster in the Chicago area. He was very familiar with March Madness high school basketball tournament at the Illinois local level. So... He tried to interject a little of his Chicago knowledge in 1982, broadcasting uh, NCAA tournament. He started referencing the madness. This led to the more widespread popularization of March Madness phrase in conjunction with the NCAA tournament. Brett Musburger spoke to Yahoo Sports, Fred, in 2011. Yeah, he said, I worked locally in Chicago, first as a writer for the Chicago Daily News, then as a broadcaster. First time I saw the term March Madness, it was print in an ad for a car dealer. Wait, what? Yeah, print it was for re- a car dealer? A car dealer. It uh-huh. was referring to the Illinois High School Basketball Tournament where we got the rights to the NCAA Tournament in 1982. It was something that seemed appropriate to say. In the early 1990s, it progresses. Both the IHSA, Illinois High School, uh, Illinois IHSA, High School Association, yeah, right, of and the NCAA were both claiming that they held the exclusive rights. Hey, we own it. No, we own it for commercial use of March Madness. So, in 1996, finally, the IHSA sued a company uh, that was uh, had the licensing of, of the term March Madness from the NCAA. They wanted to use it for a video game. Okay. In December of 96, here's where it gets tricky, the 7th Circuit Court of Illinois rejected. Rejected. How could they do that? The IHS's claim to the rights to the March Madness phrase in the uh, tournament. Fred, after they lost in court, but the IHSA and the NCAA they cut a deal. Well, that's a nice thing. They cut a deal with one another in early 2000. After years of negotiation, they both agreed to transfer all rights to March Madness to a separate company called MMAA, not uh-huh. MMA. Right. MMAA. In turn, each association received a license to use the March Madness term in relation to their basketball tournament. Additionally, uh-huh. they would, here's the key. Oh, yeah. Additionally, they would split the profits of licensing the terms to other companies or products. So when you hear something like this, it's March, and that means March Madness is here at Circle K. All right, that's a commercial we're proud to run here, of uh, Body Armor and Circle K. So they have someone has to pay the rights to use March Madness, uh-huh. and according to this, the money sounds like a fifty-fifty split. So the I not a bad deal HSI for the IHSA and the NCAA. Uh, there was later, we don't have time now, but you can look it up. Sweet 16, the Sweet 16 was uh, first trademarked by the Kentucky High School Athletic Association, and they later cut a deal also uh, with the NCAA. So anytime a commercial sponsor uses uh, uh, the phrase Sweet 16, half the dough apparently goes to Kentucky High School and half goes to NCAA. By the way, Jack from Grand Beach, Michigan won the White Sox tickets. He knew that in, uh, let's see here, exactly what year, in yeah. uh, 2015, okay. it was the long-haired right-hander from Notre Dame, yeah. Jeff Samarja, who pitched for the White Sox in Kauffman Stadium, a nice 10-1 loss to the Kansas City Royals. <laughs> 
I, I, w- I would have guessed Nav- Jamie Navarro. Yeah, he did. He started for the White Sox in 97 <laughs> okay. and 98, and shaking his head up in the press box was Jerry Reinsdorf saying, I knew I shouldn't give a pitcher a long-term contract. <laughs> hey, when we return, we're going to step into Murph's library. A terrific book uh, is uh, coming out. I just read it. We have a lot more to cover. Busy hours. Stick around. It's ESPN 1000. ESPN 1000, live from the first Midwest Bank Studios on State Street, WMVP Chicago. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. Hour number three, Murph and Fred. Hope you're having a great day. So the dead spin, the dead spin, dead spin got a hold of another batch of email dump from... The Ricketts uh, family. Did you hear about this? Yeah, friend? yeah. I don't know what's wrong with these people. You think something's wrong with them? Well, yeah. When, oh, let's read on. When you put some stuff in your emails, <laughs> the emails uh, and accompanying uh, documents covered the roughly fifteen months leading up to the Ricketts family's purchase of the Cubs uh, in late uh, two thousand nine. Uh, you know, you hate to really spy on people's family affairs. Well, some people do. Others, that's their that's their entire entire life's. Uh, uh-huh. You know, that's all they do. This reported uh, transferred to print. Uh, Gordon uh, Wittenmeyer. I'm sure it's readily available uh, everywhere. But the emails uh, and uh, the documents here, Fred, are sort of what would you call it? Awkward. Yeah. Behind the deal, awkward details. Dead spin. Dump. I guess you can put it this way. Rich people are weird. Gives Ricketts purchase of Cubs a fresh new look. Yeah, rich people are really weird. Mm-hmm. The family, well, they had a code name for their pursuit of the Cubs. Pro- well, sure they did. Project Northside. Sure they did. I feel a little dirty reading this. <laughs> Not, I don't know, but dirty laundry, right? Yeah. Okay. That's what happens. Details from the emails and the documents suggest Cubs fans would be very willing this is before they bought the team, right? Cubs fans would be very willing to tolerate annual ticket price increases regardless of the quality of the team. Ah, they'll come out. It doesn't matter. Just keep raising those prices. They'll keep paying. Let me read this again. It's sort of fun. Not fun from a monetary paying for tickets. Fun to read it. For a hundred lost teams. Let's buy this team because the numbskulls. Oh, wait, that was. I, I put that in. That I, was I'm the so Stooges. sorry. Yeah. They may have used that one. The Stooges? Yeah. Details from the email documents uh, suggest the Cubs fans' willingness to tolerate annual ticket price increases, regardless of the quality of the team. This was part of the uh, calculus determining. How aggressively to bid, the Sun-Times says, from Deadspin. Let's read on. Also, personal seat licenses uh, were seen as potential revenue sources from the start, as were stadium naming rights. They explained this, then there was public trial balloons floated on these subjects. I remember that, Fred, early in the days of the Ricketts ownership. Quite obviously, they decided not to run up that balloon any uh, longer regarding changing the name of Wrigley Field. Mm -hmm. They figure, 
You know what? Why would we want to screw that thing up? Yeah, I don't get it uh, because Cub fans, um, the people who, you know, I have no problem with any organization, any team change, you know, putting a name and selling their rights. No, no. Everybody does it. Almost every other team does it in all of baseball. I understand. Football, basketball, hockey. But they must have uh, balanced the pros and cons. You're going to say that Cub fans wouldn't mind if you raise ticket prices, but they would mind if you change the name of Wrigley Field? That is an interesting way to propose it, isn't (laughs) it? I mean, come on. What's the difference? You can call it whatever you want. I call it White Sox Park. Well, maybe what they thought was this. Well, you know what? We'll raise the uh, ticket prices so much to offset the $20 a year we won't be getting from the uh, naming rights. Interesting book out, Fred. Let's bring in the author. Let's talk right now. Longtime Chicago guy. Many of us will remember Ron Rappaport. Now on with Murph and Fred in Chicago. Hello, Ron. How you doing, Murph? Everything all right? We're doing fine. Say hello to Fred Huber. Hey, Ron. What's going on? Hello, Fred. I'm okay. I'm in Dallas where um, Ernie Banks was born, flying up to uh, Chicago uh, on Sunday, tomorrow. Going to see the Cubs and the Rangers tonight. Name, Name of the book. Let's play two. Catchy title, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Very catchy. Uh, And uh, it'll be available. Is it available very, very soon? I have an advance here. It was was publication day was this Tuesday. Uh Uh-huh. The balloons balloons are still sort of sticking to the ceiling. It's all very exciting. Okay. I had a chance to read the book you... It's an in-depth book, Fred. Over a hundred people, uh, Ron was able to catch up with, uh, full disclosure. I was, uh, number 99. There you go. You're number 101. They didn't include you. 101. I'm glad you said it because I would have. But it's, let me just say this. And, uh, I would have said this without Ron Rapport being on with us. It's an amazing book. And it's not the baseball biography. Well, you know, Ernie and I hit a three-run home. You know, it's, it's about Ernie Banks, the man, mm-hmm. uh, a very, very complex man, uh, a guy that I was able to uh, know uh, over my lifetime. Uh, he would say, hey, Mike Murphy, how you doing? You know, how's your wife? Well, I'm not married, but we'll get to that in a minute because that's actually one entire section. How's your wife uh, in, uh, uh, in the book? But Ryan Rappaport, the, fir- the first 50, 80 pages about... Young Ernie, growing up in Dallas with brothers and sisters and poverty, and I mean a lot of a lot of uh, our listeners, uh, you know, maybe don't know a lot about what Dallas, Texas, might have been like for African Americans as they, you know, uh, were, were second generation from New Orleans. Uh, paint us a little picture about. What maybe made Ernie the type of guy he was later in life and later in your book from his young uh, days growing up, uh, uh, Ernie Banks? Well, uh, Murph, uh, Ernie grew up in a completely segregated neighborhood, very poor. He was the second of 12 children. Um, when I say segregated, I don't think Ernie had a real conversation with a white person until he was in the Army when he was 19 years old. So that kind of framed him. He had to get used to coming to being in the white world when he got to Chicago 
it was very confusing to him. And it was, took a lot of adjustment. But here in Dallas, um, he, uh, as I said, the second of 12 children, Murph, his older sister, Edna, it turned 90 last week. And I was able to talk to her, and she gave me a great uh, picture of what it was like to grow up in a neighborhood where it was very poor. His father worked in a, in a grocery store, but also was sort of a handyman. Ernie took a year out of school to help his dad pick cotton. I mean, that's how poor they were. And I also found five of Ernie's high school classmates, and they helped paint a picture of a neighborhood that was incredibly poor, but it was it was a close-knit neighborhood. It was the kind of place where any adult could discipline any child. One of Ernie's classmates told me the words you didn't want to hear walking down the street were, boy, stop doing that, because you knew you were going to be tr- in trouble when you got home. So... Yes, there was poverty. Yes, there was segregation. But Ernie had a family that loved him. He had a pretty good school he went to, Booker T. Washington High School, where he learned a lot. But it was what's interesting is that after he left Dallas, he didn't come back much. So the city sort of forgot him. Last year, only last year in, in, in September, they dedicated a very beautiful statue to him outside of his old school, which is now one of the top arts-performing performing arts magnets in the country. But they still are trying to remember Ernie and his classmates that represented the school in a different era. This time in Dallas is really fascinating to me. Right on the uh, cover of your book, Let's Play 2, you've got a, a the Ernie Banks smile, the, the thing that we probably all uh, think about. When we think about Ernie Banks, he always seemed to be smiling. He always seemed to be happy. It, was, it wasn't like that his whole time, was it? I mean, it had to be tough for him to develop that. Well, as a matter of fact, the, the smile was kind of a mask. It sort of, it, it sort of hid, uh, you know, the real guy underneath. If if he was smiling and cheerful and and optimistic all the time, then if he could present that facade, nobody ever seemed to get beneath that. And that's what I've tried to do in the book, talking to his family, his friends, people from every era of his life, to show that beneath that smile. There was a human being who had the same kind of pain and suffering and problems and uh, that, that we all go through in times. You know, Ernie was able to present this caricature, and we never really got beneath that. And that's what I tried to do in the book. I mean, the smile is kind of, it was real, it was honest, but it also hid uh, the true nature. What I like to think is that Ernie played defense by going on offense. Hmm. How many people do you know who would come away saying, Golly, I got to meet my idol, Ernie Banks. We had a real conversation, but you know what? All we talked about was me. <laughs> Ernie was good at deflecting any talk of him. Yeah, Ernie. Yeah, you're right. Ernie was very. It, it's it's a sort of a paradox. He was not a obviously well educated in you know school uh, type man, but he was he was very smart. But yet. I always felt tortured inside. Was he ever, you know, really happy? Uh, how you doing? He would always, like you say in, in the book, uh, Ron, he would always sort of turn it around. He'd meet Ernie Banks, and before you could say, Ernie, you know, tell me about... He'd go, how's your wife? How's your family? Well, you know, where are you working these days? He never really wanted to do a two-way conversation, but he was almost brilliant the way he would, like you say, deflect. Well, but here's the problem. I talked to both of Ernie's sons about this. They live out in California, Jerry and Zoe. And they told me a lot about the pleasures and the problems of growing up being Ernie Banks' son. 
But Jerry told me, you know, the problem with wearing a mask all the time, as you described, sort of deflecting uh, to talk about the people, talk about you and not him, is that you become a prisoner of that mask. You find it hard to deal with um, troubles, hard to talk to people. I talked to Ernie's third wife. She lives out in Palm Springs. And uh, they met when she was working at the Chicago Transit Authority, where Ernie was on the board. And, and she said that she tried to break through, tried to get him to, to dig deeper, to, to um, deal with some of the problems in his life. But no, he wanted to maintain this happy facade, this happy-go-lucky atmosphere, uh, feeling about himself. And, and after a while, Marjorie just sort of gave up on trying to get him to seek therapy or to speak out. Then she realized, she told me that this happy-go-lucky, isn't everything wonderful kind of attitude might have been why she married him in the first place. Uh, the inference also, he might have had uh, tension deficit disorder before it was understood what that was. Uh, was was that a common theme that you heard? I know you mentioned the possibility in the book. Well, I, I experienced it. You know, this book started out as an autobiography. We were both living in California. And Ernie was game. I said, you need to write an autobiography. Let's get down to the real guy. And and he said, okay. And we had lots of really good conversations about all kinds of things. I mean, he told me stuff about growing up in Dallas and playing for Buck O'Neill in the Negro League. He really dug deep about his poisonous relationship with Leo DeRocher, right? mm, yes. you know, which he, which he never really talked about in public. No. And then he pulled the plug. I don't want to do it. And, 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 and I, I felt bad because... I, I thought we were really on to something. Well, when he died, uh, so so that was part of the attention deficit disorder. Ernie not finishing prod prod you know projects, starting something, getting all excited about it. And the one person who I tried to talk to who wouldn't talk to me, is it, it was his fourth wife, Liz. You know they had that terrible fight over his yeah. estate as it was after he died. But she did tell me in a very brief conversation because Ernie had said. I don't want to write the book. My, my wife doesn't want me to write the book. So I said, Liz, that's what Ernie told me. She said, oh, that's nonsense. Ernie liked the idea of a book. Mm. But when it came to pursuing, and I think that may be true. I think that when it came to pursuing it, to putting in the work mm. and revealing himself, he didn't want to. But then I started, when he died, I started asking around. And I talked to all of his teammates, Billy and Bertie and Randy and Kessinger and the rest of them. And they were very forthcoming about the Ernie you know, that they saw and that they could never really get to the bottom of. And Kessinger in particular told me how unhappy he was because he liked it. They all loved Ernie. They revered him, you know. But they didn't, re- they, they, they kind of felt regretful that they never really came to understand him. Visiting uh, Ron Rappaport, uh, great new book, Let's Play Two. It's a book. If you want, if you knew Ernie as a player, watched him as a player, but even uh, we got our young guys and Eric Ostrowski working today. Never saw Ernie play, and the book is about Ernie the man. But what a ball player, Fred! You you know that uh, the era of shortstops until Ernie came along was uh, defense, yeah. fielding. Mm-hmm. Well, Ernie Banks, he not only won the Gold Glove. Uh, a couple times, uh, his MVP years of 58 and 59. He broke the major league record, national league record, major league records for home runs in a year by a shortstop. So here you had a guy, Ron, that was the first 
if I can say this is true, and I'm quite sure it is, the first shortstop in baseball history in 1958-59, who was, he was the slick fielder. He didn't have the greatest range, but he, he never booted a ball. He had a strong anchor. Gold glove and led the league in home runs. So you had a ball player that was so far different from what had ever been seen, like the great Louis Aparicio on the other side of town. Yeah, he'd steal a base or two, but he's not going to hit you many homers. But a terrific fielder yeah. also. Mm-hmm. And But Ernie was, he was so new and unique, uh, Ron Rappaport, to that position. It's, it's almost impossible right now to, to relate it. It's hard for me to relate verbally how different and how outstanding for his time, and you can only play, you know, in your own era. He was He was as good as it came back then. Well, he really reinvented the position of shortstop. You know, later big guys came along, Cal Ripken, you know, home sure. and so on. But at one point, Ernie hit more home runs than every other shortstop in the National League. And here was the problem. Added together, added together, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> combined. Yeah. Well, and here's the problem is that baseball didn't know what to do with this. They, they thought it was strange. They thought it was odd. Uh-huh. You know, the Cubs kept trying to, to bring in other shortstops, guys who whose names you would never yeah, remember. Yeah. They they were uncomfortable with him playing shortstop. I, there was one quote that came huh. along. Uh, Eddie Munzel, uh, a sports writer at that time, said Ernie was like a, pro- a prophet without honor in his own land because the Cubs were uncomfortable. And you're right. He was a very good shortstop. He didn't have the greatest range in the world, but he didn't boot balls, and his arm was true. Uh, players like... Um, uh, uh, would come to would come to I'm trying to think Don Zimmer and uh, Bobby Thompson. You know uh-huh. they came to the Cubs yeah. went late in their careers, and they and they said they were surprised at how good an everyday shortstop Ernie was. And Bobby Thompson, you know, hit that great home run against the the, the Dodgers for the Giants won the won the pennant in '51. Said Ernie would have been a great, a very good player even if he wasn't a great hitter. That's huh. how good a shortstop he was. You know, it's weird, too. I was sitting here thinking, and, you know, you think about baseball back in those days, and the names that always pop out are the, the Mays and the Mantle and, you know, Hank Aaron and things like that. And a lot of times it almost seems like Ernie Banks gets left behind uh, or at least behind them, where here growing up in Chicago, he was the guy. I mean, he was the guy we thought of growing up, and then we branched out and learned about the other guys as I was growing up because Mantle was – the only time I remember Mantle is the damn guy would come here and they, the Yankees beat the White. Sox all the time, but you'd, you'd always see um, Banks because they'd be on TV, or obviously after his shortstop days, they'd be on TV, or the, he'd be the guy, the local guy. And we took so much pride in him. I'm just was wondering if you had, if you saw that much pride everywhere else that you went. I mean, you were out in California doing this, but was there that much pride? Was he thought that highly of? Because it's almost like he's a, well, the, the forgotten superstar. You, you put your finger on it, Fred. It's absolutely true. Even today. When they talk about the great players of that era, they talk about Mays and Mantle and Aaron and Bruno Clemente, a few others, and Ernie tends to get lost. Uh, the reason for that is I'm firmly convinced that he never got to the World Series. You know, Willie Mays is remembered for the great catch in the 54 World Series. Hank Aaron is remembered for playing in two lookers and breaking the Babes record. Ernie doesn't have that thing to hang his hat on. He never got you know, to the series, and so he tended to be forgotten. But here's one of the things that I'd like to, that I've tried to do in the book, is reclaim him as a baseball player. Between 1955 and 19, this is six seasons, right? 
Ernie hit more home runs and drove in more runs than Mays, Mantle, Aaron, Eddie Matthews, and everybody else in baseball. And and great. On, a bad, on, a bad, on a bad team, too. On a well, bad those team. players all went to the World Series yeah. in those six seasons. Bad team. Right. In those six seasons, the Cubs finished 123 games out of first. I mean, it was like he was playing a different game, you right. know? And those great names you mentioned were all outfielders. No disrespect, but there were no infielders in those great names you mentioned. Final couple of minutes, Ron Rappaport, longtime Chicago guy, uh, with his uh, uh, book, a really interesting, compelling inside look at Ernie Banks. It's a Let's Play 2. I was at, my dad did some stuff with, with baseball back in the early 70s, uh, late 60s, and we were at, we were at Wrigley Field one time, and Ernie said, uh, you know, came up, shook his hand, let's play two. I was just a kid, I'm in high school, and I said, Ernie, you got a doubleheader today, then let's play three, he said. Yeah. He was always, he <laughs> yeah. was always, he's always in such a great mood, like you were saying, and we were talking about. Yeah. He always yeah. had that smile, he always got everybody so Never excited lost. to be around Never him. Lost. Did he ask but you? How, how's a, your wife? No, it was a didn't. mask. Yeah. But remember, it was a mask. Right. You know, it was it was a game he was playing. He sure. got it. He sure. didn't mean it. But underneath there yeah. was a real guy. Can I just tell you guys, like yeah. coming to Chicago, can I give a plug to some of the places? I'm, people can sure. come out and see me Where and talk about find, the game. Yeah. Where's Ron Rappaport going to be? I'm going to be on Monday uh, at the Frugal Mutant there in a really cool bookstore. Right. 7 o'clock. Rich Nye, or his old teammate, is going to be there with me. Good. And then I'm... And then I'm, uh, I'm sorry, that's Tuesday, Tuesday, April 2nd. Fred will Wednesday, be there, I'm right down the street from Fred. Yeah, he'll, right down the he'll street. He'll be there. Yep. Uh, uh, please come. Yeah, Rich and I will be glad to see people. Wednesday, Rich at noon, I'm at the University Club with Phil Rosenthal, the Tribune. And Thursday, that's at noon. And Thursday, I'm going to be at the Barnes & Noble at Old Orchard at 7 o'clock. So I hope I'll be able to see people. I'm going to spend a week in Chicago. Great. And it's, we're going to have fun. We're going to have fun. And uh, you do have the uh, great story that Ernie Banks signed every autograph for every kid when he was a player. Why? Well, he wanted to. But the other side story was he would say later in his life, Ernie, you know, why'd you sign all the... He says, every young child I signed an autograph for, I always thought maybe someday he would own a company (laughs) and would hire me and would hire me. Ernie knew that you know, he was not maybe going to be a business uh, mogul, an executive. Uh, he wanted to. He was worried all his life, I believe, as a young man, uh, his future. It was always, it appears, in the back of his mind, what do I do after I'm a ball player, Ron? Well, and that was a real problem. He might have had 50 different jobs. I mean, he wasn't really suited for anything except being only Banks. Being Mr. Cub, he, he you know he would take these jobs and there'd be a big publicity spurt, and then he re, he would realize that they really only hired him for his name. That his real job was to just take customers' hands and play golf with the chairman of the board, that mm. kind of a thing. So then he move on to the next job and the next job. You know there was no real money then, um, and, and it, players worked in the off season and they they had to go get jobs when their careers were over. And Ernie, Ernie kind of struggled. A lot of the book is about his struggles, both personally and trying to make a living, uh, after, after he retired. It's, 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 a, it's an interesting story, but, but there's a lot of sadness to it, too, yes. I'm afraid. And his two, uh... Hey, Fred, we haven't talked to, Fred, we haven't <laughs> talked about, 
about Murph being in this book, you know. He's he's the heart of the Bleacher Bums. Bugles Murphy rides again. There you go. I knew that guy many years ago. Yes, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I got to tell you that some of my favorite passages are from the, the Bleacher Bums. Yeah. Just telling the whole story, how it got started. I mm-hmm. talked to several others in the original people. Yeah. You guys had fun. Yes, we you did. <laughs> yeah, we'd, nowadays, we'd all be locked up for the fun we did. And luckily, though, they only had two security guards in the entire ballpark. And they were assigned to the uh, left field bleacher bums. Officer, Burns officers, uh, that was a, a security agency back then. The Burns guards, Fred. Yep. And uh, Officer Wood and Officer Scalaraga. <laughs> <laughs> who, after the games, we'd all meet over at Ray's Bleacher Bar, and uh, uh, they'd be, uh, they drank for free on the bums, and then during the games, they never were able to quite catch us. There you go. They were always a step behind us. I wonder how that worked. Ron Rappaport, Let's Play 2, great book, and uh, very compelling. Thanks, Ron. Okay, great. I hope I'll see you in Chicago next week. Very, very good. Sounds great, Ron. Great to talk to you. Thanks, you too. Ron Rapport. Yeah, Tuesday from 7 to 8 at uh, the Frugal Muse. It's Uh, near you. It's right by me. There you go. It's right right next. It's in the same shopping center as Home Run Inn. So you don't have to convince me to get there. And uh, 1969 uh, Cub uh, Rich Nye. He said we'll be there, too. All right, I know we're behind, Eric. We'll catch up on a few things. And uh, final look at some of the uh, uh, Twitter poll results. We've covered a lot today, but we're not done. It's ESPN 1000. Stretch. No, no, not too early. No day drinking here. Murph and Fred on um, Saturdays 9 till noon. Final chance to vote our Twitter polls, so jump in there right now. EO11 will have our final results in a, a little while. Uh, Fred? Saw saw some notes this week. Uh, the Chicago Fire yep. says the uh, middle infielder. Uh, do they put a shift uh, rule? He the middle infielder can't play either side of second base. No, uh, he just be the mid midfielder, not middle infielder. But okay. yeah, it's it's he he is a guy. He's actually the guy that distributes the ball to oh. everybody, including the guy the number nine that's up front. So he was what they call a number ten. He offers creativity that has been uh, lacking. Fire has big plans for who? Nico Gaetan. He oh. is he's in the eighteen today, which means uh-huh. he's not starting. He's not one of the starting eleven, but he. He's one of the seven on the bench. Usually it's a, a second goalkeeper and then six other field players. Uh-huh. And uh, he just came. They just had the press conference for him coming over to the Chicago Fire on Thursday. He trained with them for a couple days. We'll see if uh, he gets some time in today. They Good. play a tough game against the New York Red Bulls at noon. I'm getting out there as soon as this game, our show is over at the top of the hour. And, uh, yeah, he's a guy they've been looking for. They've been looking to... Uh, to get some uh, improvement, uh, to get the ball, distribute the ball to their their forwards, uh, uh, Nemanja Nikolic and uh, also uh, C.J. Sapong, who I was had on the station a couple weeks ago. So uh, it would be nice if uh, he fits in. And uh, the Fire's got a 34-game schedule. They have uh, one tie and two losses so far. They're hoping for their first win today. And uh, thought of you uh, reading... This story about uh, Laurie Markkinen. I thought of me, too. Well, yeah, because... Because uh, I shoot just like him. No, no that no. wasn't the exact reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can shoot, but yeah. not uh, the ball. No, no. Uh, but we try to avoid all BS right here. The uh, story was, this uh, was Joe Colley the other day, uh, Markkinen has experienced a rapid heart rate twice in the last month. 
uh, he told reporters he felt uh, off his game in the uh, uh, first half and had initial concerns about a, a racing heart. Yeah, in uh, 2008, I had a situation similar to that. Um, and uh, I ended up having a thing called cardioversion. Now, they obviously are not going uh, that far with him, but they did say that he's going to be out for the remainder of the season, uh, which is only six games, I think. But, uh, yeah, it, we'll see if that's what he needs. Sometimes the rapid heart rate, there are obviously other reasons. I'm not a cardiologist, but I've had it. Actually, I just had one on, uh, what was it, February 28th, another one of these cardioversions where they, they what happens is part of your, the top part of your heart flutters a little bit instead of just pumping like it's supposed to and they basically hit the uh, alt control delete on your heart and they shock you back into proper rhythm so maybe that's the situation again that was mine i don't know exactly what his is but uh it's difficult to play when your heart feels like it's going to pop out of your chest yes and especially when you're running up and down a court for hmm. you know 34 minutes of a game and they, they said basically the first time he felt it was the four overtime the game four overtime game yeah which which makes you know makes sense yeah. uh, he was probably out there and uh, pushed himself a little bit further than he needed to and his heart told him hey what do you do it slow down a little bit so we'll see how this all plays out but it's a it's a scary situation for players because it could always be something worse than that hopefully it's not Sox fans are responding on the Twitter poll. Let's bring in EO11. Uh, Eric, Sox fans was the question, uh, who will lead the White Sox in home runs this year? Uh, multiple choice, Jose Abreu. Round up the unusual suspects, because Eloy Jimenez and Daniel Palka. Now, last year, Fred, I looked this up uh, all by myself, uh, Polka, Polka last year, 27 homers yep. in just a little over 400 at-bats. Eloy at double-A and triple-A added together the same amount of at-bats, uh, 416, 22 homers, double-A, triple-A, you know, I understand. And Abreu had an off-season uh, last year. He had 550 at-bats. He was playing hurt, missed some time, uh, just 22 home runs. So you got 22 last year, but Abreu had been 36, 30, 25-33. So last year, Abreu 22, Eli 22, and the double-A, triple-A, and Polka 27. I'm pretty interested in where this vote went. Yeah, I, mean, I said I said Abreu. Well, yeah, that um, would be the natural pick. Right. I said Abreu if he can stay healthy for uh-huh. the whole season, and uh, we'll see. But, uh, you know, it could be Polka again. If in, But, see, the problem is Polka's got to be able to get that many at-bats again. If he slumps early, and he sure. was awful. In the spring, he was as bad as Ian Happ in the spring. Those two guys were pretty equal, and uh, Polka made the team. Delmonico didn't, and uh, I think the reason he made it was because of his twenty-seven homers last year. Everybody this week surprised that Ian Happ got uh, demoted down to Triple A. We weren't. We've been talking about it for a month. Yeah, he was. uh, He's not having a good spring. No, no. Uh, And the Cubs' uh, Twitter poll was uh, very simple, but very difficult, I believe, to answer. Cub fans, which is the Cubs' strong suit this year, pitching or hitting? Let's bring in Eric Ostrowski. Fellas, I I don't know which. I, I, I wrote this last night. I think this is a good one. And then I keep changing my own mind on my vote. The Cubs starting rotation. And we, I hate to, you know, if healthy. So right. we throw that out because that's a given for any team. That's, you know, doesn't mean anything. Uh, Cubs starting rotation as good as it gets, one through five. The hitting, well, we all know what happened last year. Fell off August, fell off dramatically in September. 
uh, 12 runs in the first game, which, you know, small sample size. I- I'm going to go with pitching and, well, the bullpen, you know, you can poke holes in it, but strong and Morrow supposedly coming. I think this is going to be about a 50-50. I'll go pitching to split hair since I have to vote. Yeah, I would say hitting. Okay. I think I said hitting. Okay. And I answered the poll question. Eo, what happened? 77% of the voters mm-hmm. said that hitting is the Cubs' strong yeah, suit. I'm this not season. surprised, but I'll tell you, starting pitching is lights out. But the hitting can score your runs. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to go with the pitching. We'll find out. After they play the games. A couple of quick updates. White Sox have an afternoon game today, one fifteen. It's raining in mm. Kansas City again. Of so course. get ready for more uh, entertainment from, you know, the, the studio. And uh, then also, Fred Hoiberg's coming back to coach. Yes, not here. No, no, no. Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's apparently all but official, and uh, they're just waiting for the press conference. Probably uh, this uh, uh, week in uh, Kansas City, every day is... Uh, a poncho rain uh, gear day, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 <laughs> not. It's yeah. supposed to rain all weekend in Kansas City, and it, they were supposed to get the Thursday game in without rain, and then the forecast changed, and it was miserable there yeah. for the longest time. And then you know the wet baseball led to two of the yes. White Sox three errors. For all you little leaguers yeah, out there, that's right. Don't play in the rain. Yep. Make sure that uh, when you're getting ready to throw the ball, and you had all uh, Tim Anderson all the time in the world, and then. Even Jose Abreu just he he jumped. I don't, he could have just looked over his head. I did not see that play, but I guess oh he really God. launched the ball, right? Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. He had time too. It was. Uh, I want to say it was a catcher or somebody running. It was a, not a fast guy running, which is rare on Kansas City because they have Billy. You know, Merrifield. and they've got they've got Merrifield, oh. and they've got a really 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 quick team, and they got Billy Hamilton now. Yeah. Right. So, so they got a really, really fast team, and they're expected to uh, lead the lead the league in stolen bases this year. And uh, he had a plenty of time. Took a look at the ball, threw it. You know, when I was uh, uh, working uh, back in the day with uh, Abner Doubleday, uh-huh. you know, inventing the game, he said, "Murph, when do you think we should start this season?" I said, "How about about April 15th? Yeah. I don't know if you, Eric. How about this one? The Ides of April. The <laughs> Major League season, when I was a kid, started opening day about April 15th. Then, the other day I was looking, uh, oh, I, uh, I found some of those, uh, you know, remember the pocket, pocket uh, schedules. schedules? Yeah. And I got, you know, I collect all that stuff. I, the 16, You're a hoarder, Murph. You're a hoarder. A hoarder from me. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, 69 Cubs opening day, opening day, not road, opening, and they happen to be home. Opening day, April, uh, 8th. Okay. Yeah. And they keep moving early and early. Then they wonder, you know, well, they don't wonder. They know. Look at what's happening. Yeah. It, and then they pad in some, uh, the union said, we want more off days padded. And okay, then we'll start the season earlier. Well, then you get the rain outs and then you got double headers and you're backed up in August and September. Right. And then you're wearing yourself out more than if you hadn't have tried to steal early days by starting earlier it's nonsensical plus in those pocket schedules you probably saw at the start of the season the hams bear well scheduled double headers oh. oh of course yeah there were yeah. scheduled double headers yeah which is uh, you know i understand you don't want to give up a gate but you know the day night double header is acceptable now okay you can do that you could have a day night double header Fans yeah. understand you don't want to give up the gate. Yeah. So have a day-night doubleheader on yeah. a Saturday or something. And then play a Sunday game and you can still get out of town. I mean, it, it, there are ways to get around it. But uh, now, apparently baseball doesn't want to. I would imagine, though, 
And, oh, no, don't worry about the poor players. It's got a, a day-night doubleheader is not ideal either. You, you know, you but get, if, give, if you give in a day off here I and know, there, I, it can I, give you a day off here and there, and you can still start the season later. Well, it's starting workable. the season later, of course, yeah. is the key. It's workable. It can, it can be done. But a noon game and then a five o'clock game or whatever, and that's you know. And again, noon no and seven, no sympathy. What else they got to do? Well, there you go. <laughs> the, Get out there. The way these locker rooms are nowadays, let's play three. Or you would say they're as comfortable as anything. They're as comfortable as yeah. most hotel rooms are going to be in. Take a nap. Yeah. Why not? You can rest. They got shut they, your they, eyes. They said they got like twenty different rooms yeah. over at the Cubs locker room. Get a few, t- you know, a, a, a few cots. Uh-huh. Pull a few rollout beds there. You can take a nap even, after game even one. Even Jim Cat is over there. Sure. Well, if the Yankees are in town, Burf and Fred. Final thoughts coming up. I may even have some uh, warm, uh, cold, or uh, hot takes remaining. It's ESPN One Thousand. Glad you've been with us for almost three hours. Murph and Fred every Saturday, 9 till noon. All right, uh, EO 11, Sox fans have voted. Who will lead the White Sox in homers this year? Jose Abreu, 22 last year. Eli had 22 last year, double A plus triple A. And Daniel Palka, 27. Uh, everyone's going to vote Jose, but uh, boy, you, you couldn't look at all three of these, but you pointed yeah. out the advance. Uh, well, if, if Palka's hitting, he'll get the advance. Right. If he's not hitting, they'll send him down. Uh, <laughs> they'll bring up somebody else like Delmonico or something like that. So I went with Abreu. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see what Abreu happens. Abreu in a runaway? Uh, what do we have, EO? So with the bottom with 20% is Daniel Palka. All right. 29% is Aloy Jimenez, yeah. and then 51% okay. voted for Jose Abreu. All right. Sounds about right. Yeah, well, he's been doing it most of his career. Last year, like you said, he had a couple injuries, so if he can stay injury-free, uh-huh. and uh, he says he wants to finish his whole, he wants to play his whole career with the White Sox, so the, maybe they'll sign him, so he, maybe he's going to go on out there and put up some numbers this year. Uh, Eloy would be uh, born Eloy Arturo Jimenez Solano. Okay. Yeah. So he, Eloy Arturo Jimenez Solano. He got an RBI the other day. Pitch uh, bases loaded. Pitch inside <laughs> hits his foot, and uh, there's your first uh, major league RBI. He'll never forget it. Did they give him the ball? I don't think so. The shoe polish yeah. on it. Yeah, they probably yeah. should have. All right. Yeah, it'd be nice if the White Sox get more than four hits today. Uh-huh. It would also be nice if it stopped raining in Kansas City. And uh, you, Darvish, says I'm ready for 100 pitches. So well, hopefully he can finish in less than that. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you. He's as good a pitcher as there is almost out there. He's, he's one of the, when right, he's certainly a top 15 starting pitcher. When right, no doubt about but it. Remember his biggest thing when he first got to the big leagues was he had so many pitches. Yeah. He had like seven pitches and he would throw them all in a game. Yeah. It, I always thought that, you know, if you have seven good pitches, which is concentrate on four or five. Well, he's got 99 heat that hops. He's got a devastating uh, wipeout slider, uh-huh. and uh, he's got the other arsenal, as you mentioned, right. when needed. But what they need him is, you know, 32 starts this year is what they nice. need. Yeah. Yep. Hey, I got a take. Let's decide if it's a hot take, a warm take, or a cold take. And there's EO11 with take music. Take five. Speed up baseball. Speed up baseball. Nobody cares. Fred, Eric, I guarantee you, most baseball owners don't give a damn because you know why? 
none of them expect to be owning the team in another 15 or 20 years. Most of them. Most of them say, you know what? I don't care about 20 years from now developing, you know, 30-year-old fans. They don't care. I'll tell you who else doesn't care. The players don't care. No. The players don't care about speeding up the game. The owners don't care about speeding up the game. 99% of the fans that go to one game or two games a year, they don't care about it. People that watch the game at home on TV, well, maybe some care, but you know what? Flip back and forth. They don't care. And the key is the people that don't watch don't go. They, they don't, don't care. care. No. Bottom line, nobody cares about speeding up the game. That's my take. Yeah. Hot, medium, or cold? I'll let you go first, Eric. That's a hot take to me. Yeah. Right. right now, baseball is losing fans. The average listener and average viewer of right. baseball goes up one year every year because they yeah. get no new fans. Right. But nobody so, cares. But I'm telling you, nobody cares. You're telling me, and I'm saying that's a hot take because I think a lot of people care. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead with Eric. What uh, do you think, Fred? See, I, I, I agree with Murph because I don't think, you know, unless they're playing the game as kids, uh, which actually I, I know Cap ran a stat earlier this week that more kids are playing baseball than ever, actually, he said, which was interesting. Um but I think that when those kids, they've got to keep watching the game. I know kids, guys that have played the game and yeah. don't like watching it. Yeah. So that's that's a difficult thing. Nobody back cares. When we were back when we played the game. We played the game and then we'd go inside yeah. to watch the right. game. But nobody kids cares. don't do it nowadays. No, the owners and the players don't care. The right owners now. don't care because no. they're going to sell the team before uh, it bottoms out. If indeed it's going to, like the projections would trend, right? But the owners don't care. The players don't care. Fans, uh, you know, I'll watch it. I'll go to the, well, the go Cubs, to the game. You spend all that money for one game a year for many people. They want it to go long. Well, I was going to say, the Cubs must care. They, the Cubs must think the Millennials are coming to the ballpark because they added like about a dozen different beers, craft beers to mm-hmm. their to their uh, to Wrigley Field. Now you're going to have to get out of your seat to go get them because uh-huh. they only have um, Bud products and Goose Island products in the stands. We're walking around, but if you're a craft beer drinker, you can go to the stands and get just about anything you want. Now they've done that in the South Side for years. Now Wrigley Field's starting to do it, so they must think that there are millennials, craft beer fans, that are going to games. Well, the White Sox have Goose Island section in the uh, right, right, right field bleachers, not far from the. Pole. Yep. The up and down, they're going to have like waterfalls down on each side. So it appears from these stands, if you're looking out, and that's an island out there. Yeah. I don't know if you get a discount on the price if you're sitting in the Goose Island. Actually, I think it may, may be a little bit more expensive. <laughs> so if you get in the front row, you get a 30, you get a 32 inch TV right there next to you. So as you're sitting in your comfy yeah, seat, yeah. you can actually see the replays in that right on the mm-hmm. TV in front of you. Well, I I hope uh, Zagunas is uh, not in uh, in the sense that Schwarber's out because Cub fans are going to go nuts. Well, it's a right-hander today, yeah. so hopefully Schwarber's in the starting lineup. But the platoon, if you want to call it that, of the mid-game switch, Zagunas was uh, one for two and Schwarber's is one for three. It was two for five, which last time I looked is 400 and not too shabby. You're not, by, by Joe doing that. You're not going to always get Mike Minor and six relievers going against you. Um, you might get six relievers again yeah. today, but you're not going to get Mike Minor. You got Edson Volquez going yeah. against you, a guy that used to be really good. Want to thank all our guests today, and that would be Ron Rappaport, longtime Chicago guy, talking about his uh, uh, the legend of Mister Cub inside Let's the life. Too. Let's play too. He'll be out in Downers Grove at Frugal Muse Tuesday, seven yeah, eight. That was nice. Jesse Rogers checked in from. Uh, 
uh, Arlington, Texas. Uh, Fred tried to make him wear a cowboy hat. And our uh, assistant program director, Randy Merkin, with his thoughts on NCAA. Well, uh, he was up watching golf March anyway. March Madness. Yeah, so. Mark and Fred saying thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. See you later, everybody.